Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on The Ringer Podcast Network. The first episode of 2020 is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. It's a new year and you want to keep growing your team, but you need the right tools to help keep your hiring streamlined and efficient. That's where our presenting sponsor, ZipRecruiter.com slash BS comes in. They send your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. They don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, State Farm, just like football, life can be unpredictable. That's why State Farm agents are there to help. With over 19,000 agents, a local State Farm agent could be just around the block. Whether you're talking person by phone or through the app, State Farm is there. Go with the one with coverage and agents. You can count on State Farm. Talk to an agent today. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com, where we are writing a lot about football and the start of 2020 and where the NBA storylines are going and pop culture and the Oscars are coming and a whole bunch of stuff. Check it out, Ringer.com. Check out the Ringer Podcast Network, where we had an awesome 2019, and it's going to be even better in 2020. The Rewatchables, special guest Quentin Tarantino. We did Dunkirk this week. We have another one coming next week. I'm just going to tell you what it is right now. He picked it. Unstoppable. Kyle, remember when we watched this? I do. And you were like, what is this? And then we were both riveted for an hour and a half. All the way in. Yeah. Tarantino loves Unstoppable. Wanted to do a podcast about it. And it's really a Tony Scott podcast, but unstoppable too. But that is the uh, the one we have coming next week. So my advice to you would be watch Unstoppable before that podcast. Um, there you go. And then uh, the Book of Basketball 2.0 is coming back next week as well. So we have that going. Coming up, we have a mega football podcast. Ryan Rosillo is here the whole time. We wanted to make this a little bit like a radio show. So... He is on, we're going to talk about David Stern at the top, and then we're going to go into round one of the playoffs with some help from Seth Wickersham, Peter Schrager, Joe House, Sober House, not Drunk House, but Sober House, and we're going to do million-dollar picks as well. It is action-packed. We might even talk a little NBA at the tail end. It's all coming up first. Our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, we're taping this right now. It's it's close to one o'clock Pacific time on Thursday. Ryan Rosillo is here. He just taped his own podcast. We thought it would be fun with a whole lot of shit going on in sports right now, plus the football playoffs, all that stuff. We're gonna treat this like a radio show. Can we do the teases? We can do the teases if you want. I should have written them out. You should have. Right, because there's there still was, time. There's one way you wanted to stand out in the department like ten years ago. Be like, you know. What that guy says for seven or eight minutes isn't that great, but fuck if the teases aren't something special. Great teases. Right. So I wasn't very good at teases in the beginning, and I was told how bad my teases were. I was like, well, it's never going to work out for me here. So it's stuff like, coming up, I'm going to tell you why the Patriots might not be done right uh, after this. Right. Or my one of my favorite ones was why an ex-Viking may be making his way back to New England. And you're like, oh, my God, Randy Moss again? You're like, oh, Jake Reed? 
Jake Reed. Tough. Jake Reed would have been great, but it wasn't even him. Um, We're going to talk football in a second. Yeah. David Stern passed away yesterday. It was a terrible way to start the new year if you're a basketball fan and um, somebody who's been in our lives pretty much the entire time we've liked the NBA. I had a complicated relationship with them, which I don't, we can talk about that in a little bit. But it struck me, a couple things struck me immediately. One, I was surprised that he died. And I mean that in a way of when he had this thing happen and it seemed really bad brain hemorrhage. It's not looking good. He's not getting any better. I'm still like, ah, it's still stern. Oh, he's going to make it. It just felt like there, there was this resiliency about that guy that I felt like even to the bitter end, he was going to beat whatever happened to him. But he was really the dad of the NBA. And I was reading a lot of the pieces that people wrote and a lot of them much different than obituaries where everybody has like their personal story and that everything was centered around that. Now that part of that might be just, that's where we are this decade, where a lot of it is narcissistic and through that lens, but he had such a powerful impact on people who passed, you know, who passed through his circle. And I think he's one of those rare guys that the first time you met him, you actually indelibly remember. I know I do. And I think that's what the was case. your first time. My first time was uh, when I went to go see him in his office. I'd probably met him for a handshake or whatever, but I actually did an ESPN magazine uh, column about going to see him and going to his office and sitting down and talking to him and interviewing him. It was pre-podcast. It was 2006. I remember everything about that day. It was a really big day for me. It wasn't just because it was a good column for me to have, but it was like, I'm fucking meeting the, the NBA's dad. And... So that was the first thing. And, he knew and, you, obviously, because at that point you become a voice. I, right? Yeah, I'd had a column, and they knew it was probably smart for him to give me some time and get in get in that way a little bit. But the the point, the adjoining point to that, did is, you throw him a ton of your dumb theories? I'd, well, I'd, I'd ma openly made fun of him about the uh, the ping pong balls and the Knicks, and like he was ready for it, and he had like a snarky, stern comeback. But the the parallel point to this, which I think is almost more important in a weird way, yeah. He remembers everything that, or he remembered every single thing that happened in the NBA, basically dating back to, I don't know, late sixties. Cause that's when he started to get involved as a lawyer. He was this resource, this encyclopedia for every relevant thing that happened after Bill Russell, basically. And you could go to him and he had excellent recall. He was probably involved in whatever the situation was. He probably interacted with whoever the player, the coach um, he handled the ABA-NBA merger. He did all the stuff that you all read about the last two days with once he took over in 1984. But he also was really running the league when Lawrence O'Brien was the commissioner and was a train wreck. And his just his fingers are just everywhere for 60 years. But more importantly, could remember all of it. And I don't know who the person is now. And this was the last link. And now we're starting to see like Bob Cousy. He's 90. Tommy Heinsohn's in his late 80s. Oscar, Bill Russell, Elgin. This whole era is, is unfortunately not going to be around 10 years from now and we're losing something. And that was the thing that struck me yesterday. I was like, this was the guy who remembered everything that's happened. I remember the first time I talked to him was I asked like the dumbest question ever. If somebody died, how does that affect the salary cap? <laughs> and he was like, uh, and he answered. And then he said something to the producer after and was like, that was one of the dumbest things ever. And right. my producer was like, he thinks you're an idiot. Yeah. I was like, yeah, okay. And you know, honestly, to be fair, I, I probably was an idiot um, back then and not really knowing and getting prepped up on it, but he's, uh, he's never going to be, you know, I know everybody's kind of like in a contest of what's the most profound thing I can say after somebody passes. 
Yeah. And I also think that, and it's not just me being older, but I, I don't think 24 hours after is when you start saying, okay, here's the seven things I didn't like about David Stern. I mean, somebody just passed yeah. away, you know? What he was able to do, and this is what I talked about with McCallum a little bit, in that anybody that becomes a commissioner of anything anymore, it's a title and you're answering to people. Like, what are you really in charge of? Like, I don't, I don't feel like Roger Goodell is in charge of the NFL. I think the owners for years have not cared about public perception at all. And I think Goodell's taken his cues from them a little bit on that, you know, where they've, they've become more reclusive. Like, all right, you don't like us? We're just sick of reading all the headlines. And I could also understand how you could do that. Be like, oh, you guys are going to write another bad story about the NFL? Okay, whatever. We'll see you on Sunday. Where Stern, it felt like the owners, even though they were cutting his paycheck, they still had to answer to him. Yeah, they worked for him. Yeah. I think and he felt that way too. Oh, he definitely felt that yeah. way. And I just, I find that to be impossible now for anybody that becomes a commissioner of a conference and certainly a sports league. I don't think this this group of owners with the money that they've put in are going to let somebody now that takes the job without 30, 40 years of equity, they're not going to feel like they have to answer to him. Or Stern and the last name is as fitting as anybody in the public eye. He just, he wasn't going to let you do something he thought was bad for the league, even if you were paying his salary. And that is impossible to me to be repeated. You just explained why his influence eroded, eroded over the course of last decade. Perfect. Yeah. Because when he took over in the eighties, it's, the owners are just a bunch of jackasses for the most part. You might have three smart ones. You had like Dr. Jerry Buss, maybe two others. And most of them were like Ted Stepien, Donald Sterling. Like they're just dumbasses who bought into a team because it was seemed like a good place to put their money. They didn't really care what was going on. They're trading first round picks. He's got to put all these rules in place just to save these idiots from themselves. And then as it goes into this decade, and even you think at the start of the decade, like think of the guys who owned the Celtics before the Wick Grossback Pagluca combo it was Gaston's Gaston, son. Yeah. And he was terrible. And they would be, I heard how the team was run. It was like, okay, this is the number you're allowed to spend. And if you spend a dollar over, it's coming out of your pocket. Yeah. Like they traded, that was it. That they was traded it for Vin Baker, who everybody knew was an alcoholic because it saved them a million dollars on the salary cap and got them under the luxury tax or whatever it was. And it was just those were the owners. But I think over this, Last decade, not this decade, but last decade. No, you're right. You saw this, this is about new a wave year run. In. Yeah, and and these new owners are like, why the fuck am I listening to this guy? And actually, I might be smarter than this guy. I made my money this way. I made my money in tech. I did whatever. And there was a real, you know, power balance. I thought swinging back and forth those last five years that he was there, where they were just kind of like they all started gravitating toward Adam. Adam was younger. Adam understood their world better. He just was, just got it. And Stern was more the, well, back in my day, this is how we did it. He bounced it a little bit, but not enough. I don't feel like those last five, six years. And he also made some pretty big mistakes the last five, six years and had some bad things on the resume. And I think that colored how people remembered the end of the tenure. He definitely, I hate saying it, but I thought he stayed too long. Yeah, but it's such an impossible thing to, to give up too. Like Seelig, how many years in a row was that guy retiring? And I think Seelig is a terrible commissioner. I think Seelig gave teams to guys that he liked. Um, no question. And it, when you really dig into some of the stuff, like the, the idea that Frank McCourt could happen in baseball is really damning for Seelig. And then you're going, wait a minute, Seelig says he's going to give this job up. Remember how many years he was going to give it up? He's going to give it up. And then you start to realize, hey, maybe he doesn't want to give up like 15 mil a year and be the guy that's in charge of baseball. And the more you'd start looking into some of those transactions for ownership, the more I think it, it's disappointing about what Seelig was. Stern wouldn't have ever done those things. Stern was going to 
let franchise transactions happen where he felt like it was a chance for the league to grow, not only locally, but internationally. Yeah, and- he always had, he had the two blueprints for him where how do we sell the mostly black player base to mostly white fans? And they figured that out over the course of the 80s where that became less and less of an issue. But that was the issue that he took over. That was what the networks were telling him. They were saying, we we can't really sell your league. It's, it doesn't appeal to the broad fan base. And Stern's like, no, I, you're wrong. Like, And fought that battle with him and he won. But then as it went into this decade, or last decade and then leading into this decade, and he's just thinking international, international, international. How do we get bigger? How do we grow? Then digital, if you go back and read some of this stuff, I did an interview with him in 06, and he's really enamored with digital. He's talking about, they don't know the streaming and that stuff's coming, but they know that the world's going to change, and this is their one advantage over the NFL, is that they're wired into this. And this is why Adam Silver is doing the Tech Summit, and that stuff's going on at 07, 08. They're just trying to think smarter than the NFL. They're measuring themselves against the NFL. How can we beat these guys? How do you beat them? Well... NFL's old school, old money, old people trying to keep things the way they were. We can beat them by thinking out of the box. The problem is he was pretty old at that point. And I think he probably lucked out a little bit having Adam, you know, as like his lieutenant. What a great assistant commissioner. We've seen him now as the real commissioner. He's been amazing. But I think that the changing of the owners probably doomed the last five, six years for him. Because I think that was the first class of owner that came in that was just like, I'm not intimidated by you. And I just spent $2 billion, Yeah. You know, or I spent a billion or I or spent even, 1. Yeah, 1.5. Yeah, it was 500, right. 500. Right. Like what, what did he pay four, the Warriors? 460 four for the Warriors? Yeah, right. And everybody laughed at him out loud. Yeah. People laughed at Wick and his so he, group when they bought. They were like, you paid $300 million for the Celtics? You don't even own the building? What's right. wrong with you guys? And then every single You don't guy, have a TV station? Every one of those guys has crushed it all the way. Because, you know, again, it's all live rights. All of It's not necessarily just about a player. It's not just about a smart owner. It's not even about a commissioner. It's about technology changing the way people watch TV, what's important, sports are important. I don't know if that bubble's coming because even though you look at sports ratings declining, you go, okay, but if this is still the best option for my ad revenue, if everything's declining because of new media, then wouldn't sports still be valuable and all those things? So I don't just, you know, whenever well, hey, like a, but here's the thing with that. When everybody takes Who's credit selling for that a team? Though, Who's selling a team right now? Name an NBA team that's like notably for sale. The only one that I could Portland maybe. Um, I think the Pelicans thing, something eventually will happen with the Pelicans. Okay. I do, but I don't know when. So it's one and a half out of 30. Right. And then when the CBA comes up, all the teams that are losing money that aren't for sale, like the smartest guys in the room are buying up these teams. One, because it's, it's that thing. Was it, was it Ratner with the Nets originally who talked about owning a team? It's like, you know, there's no price you can put on it. Because now I have this team and yeah, I can bring you my tax. thing. Yeah, it's it's the painting that you want everybody to come to your house and look at. So what does it actually really work? They also worth? don't lose money. Yeah, that I've never You can really write played. off everything 90 different ways. I think, you know, it took a while for people to realize that. But I think there was a moment in 09, 2010. There was probably like eight teams for sale at one point. It was right after uh, Seattle had fled to OKC. Where the league was in flux. I remember I wrote multiple columns about it. Like, something's happening here. Attendance is going down. They're having trouble replacing the ticket revenue. And what they didn't realize was the internet was coming and streaming was going to, you know, do a whole bunch of stuff for them. But it was a league. 
I would say at the end of the last decade, I, crisis is too strong of a word, but it's coming off Donahue. It's coming off Seattle going to OKC. It's declining attendance. Who is, you know, going to be the next wave coming out of that Kobe, KG, Duncan? Is there going to be a next class to replace those guys? It was really just LeBron. That's it. And then you think by 2011, it really started to flip once they made that deal. If you look at the position itself, um, it's never going to be any, like at some point, Adam Silver, like the fact that it's been this long, and this is a long honeymoon now. We're talking, was it almost five years now with Silver? More. Yeah, five and a half. Yeah. Actually having the title. Um, there will be moments where it feels like, oh, wait a minute, is he not being as pro player now? I mean, Silver's incredibly pro player. Yeah. I think politically Stern was more aligned with the players, his beliefs on the way a country should be going, but he also had to be somebody that was that was punishing people all the time. And it was almost this combination of like fear and the fact that after the Donaghy thing, he was so determined to go, this is isolated, rogue incident, don't even bother looking into the rest of it. Right. The way he went at Seattle, where really it was kind of a middle finger to any future city that it's like, if you're not going to help out, if you're not going to help kick in some towards a new arena that's good for the city too, this is what's going to happen. And then you look at like a Milwaukee arena deal after the Seattle deal doesn't go through. And, and you're Sacramento. Like, oh, my, oh my God. Sacramento like, too. Like how hooked up they got. So he had to be tough. He had to be confident. Some people could call it arrogant. I, I don't know how you could do the position any other way because it wasn't there to be done likable. Um but even with mistakes, it's impossible to not make mistakes along the way. I don't know that anybody would ever argue like he was. A, you can't. I mean, it's not debatable. He was great in this role. I think the first. So the first 15 years when he was commissioner. And then you date back to the five years before he became commissioner when he was really running the league. So we're like 80 to 84. You're talking, yeah, you're talking like 79 to 99. He's unbelievable. It's honestly the probably the most influential commissioner job anyone's done. I don't, I don't know how to compare it to Roselle's best 20 years, but I think in the NFL's case, a lot of that stuff is just kind of naturally happening anyway because people just love watching football, you know, and they're taking advantage of that. I think it started to flip a little this last decade with, or the in the 2000s because of the officiating, which was a real problem for years and years and years. And it really wasn't until Donahue, until the latter part of the decade that they fixed it, I think the Seattle thing, I've never gotten an adequate explanation on that. Um, and I thought that everything leading to a lockout in 11 and the fact that we almost lost that season, coming off an awesome 2010-11 season, that would have been the worst thing for his legacy. But he got through that. Um, and that's where he is answering to the owners, right? This is a this is a league where 57% of the revenue went to the players. 57. And he wanted to get it to 50 and, and he got, he, and he got it there and he got it to 50 and you know, and he wanted revenue right. sharing because the smaller market teams. And I remember that I somehow did five podcasts with him, which I, I only remember. I thought I would have guessed like two, but I did two of them in 2011. And in one of them, did you mail it in on one? Maybe no, I tried uh, in that 2011 when I asked him, you know, what's the point of revenue sharing? I don't get it. Why not just put, teams in the best cities that are most equipped to support a basketball team. Why, why should New York and LA and Golden State and these cities have to pay for the Oklahoma cities and the Clevelands? And he had a really eloquent answer to it. And he really passionately believed like, we can't think that way. We want basketball to be in all these different cities. And that's the same reason they never really totally changed the draft. The draft award too, mostly incompetent teams, right? 
most incompetent teams are usually from smaller markets. And if you look at the draft over and over again, it's, it's the smaller market teams that always end up with the Kevin Durant, you know, the Zion, Zion Williamson in New Orleans last year, they have to trade Anthony Davis, small market team. They end up with the number one pick. He was always very just worried for those markets, which I think was admirable. I think that was a good quality. It doesn't explain the Seattle thing though. And that's the thing with it. When I look at his legacy, there's just things I just don't get. I don't get why he waited so long to fix the officiating. I don't get why he didn't care about this Seattle thing and little things like that. But that's nitpicking because the guy was so great. We held him to this higher standard. Goodell, I I just assume is going to be terrible, right? Well, Goodell He's, inherited something that was already ready to go. And honestly, post Tagliabu, where Tagliabu got, I don't know how he got 32 owners to agree to a deal where the players are getting 60% of the revenue split. <laughs> right. And so that's why when Tagliabu was up for the Hall of Fame stuff, people were saying there's so many owners that hate him for force. Remember? Was it Wilson, the owner of the Bills? They were like, he's never getting in. Well, yeah, but I remember they were like, hey, how do you feel about the new CBA? He's like, I don't even know what we just did. <laughs> right. You're like, didn't you just vote on this? Yeah, I have no idea. We just said, yeah, I guess. And like, that would never happen with Stern. And no. so Goodell comes in immediately, and everybody liked him in the beginning, right? Central casting, linebacker, hard scrabble background, intern in the offices. And you're like, well, no. I mean, he's – and I don't, I don't like getting down on people that have had a – an easier life growing up versus a hard life. I think we always respect the people who come, but I, I don't hold it against somebody if you're from Fairfield County, like, yeah. okay, whatever. Um, and Goodell is much like Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, where, okay, so no matter what I do, I'm just going to get ripped. I'm just going to talk less then. Yeah. I'm just going to talk to you less. I'm going to, Stern never did that. I don't feel like he ever did. No, he was available. There, a lot of the stories the last 24 hours were just, People who like Howard Beck, like his second year working for the LA Daily News, and the phone rings and it's and it's David Stern, because he had asked to for time with them, and then Stern just calls him. Stern was really that was a big part of that was a big part of my relationship with him when we started, you know, doing different media stuff. I felt like I could call him, and I remember one time I was working on my book, and I was trying to figure out the cable TV stuff in the early eighties. And Stern, Stern's been very magnanimous about the whole, I didn't save the NBA, Bird and Magic were great. They didn't really save it either. It was really cable TV is what saved it because nobody could see our games. And starting in 81, you could see it on USA and ESPN. It's like, what saved the NBA is people being able to watch the NBA. That's the, that's the actual answer. But I was trying to figure out the mechanics of all the deals and there just wasn't enough info on it. So I emailed and I said, hey, I'm working on this basketball book that I told you about. I'd love to just talk to you about, I need, I need to know about this early eighties TV stuff. And I want to, I have a couple questions about the ABA NBA merger in 76 calls me like two hours later and I'm in my backyard and I'm just pacing and he's just telling me all this stuff, but he can remember everything. And he's like, so, you know, in USA, they were paying us 11.1 million and we need, I don't remember what the figures were, but he could just rattle it off. Like he had it in front of him. But the thing is it was in his head and then just goes through everything. And he was like this resource. And I, I That's think so cool, man. See, it yeah. was just amazing to get a call from him, from somebody who was that smart and just remembered everything. One of the first times where I went, okay, there's, there's just, you know, he's the commissioner of the NBA, so you kind of go in expecting to be impressed. And it is yeah. always funny when you go into some sort of thing and this person has a title and, you know, everybody knows who they are. And then you walk away going, oh, my God, that wasn't very impressive. Like, it's always blows my mind every yeah. now and then when you come across somebody you're like, that guy, 
that guy's like a big deal and yeah. like a billionaire visionary. What? Uh, but Stern, I remember very early on working at ESPN, it was the Stoudemire suspension stepping out onto the court. You know, that was the rule when Nash got his head cut open in a bullshit play at the end of that playoff game. And Dan Patrick had the afternoon slot at ESPN radio and he was kind of railing against how the rule was stupid and Stern called in. Right. And it was, it was really cool because one, it was David calls in. I don't know if he was booked or if he heard something Dan had said. No, he would call in on right. situations I think, like that. I think it was. And Dan was going at him and Dan would always be kind of funny, be like, Mr. Commissioner, Mr. Commissioner, you know? Right. And though the the thing I always thought was good, and you've had this too, is like when you get to a certain level as the guy that's the interviewer, like people want to share more with you because they know you're a big deal, right? I yeah. mean, it's, it's kind of like the Howard Stern thing. And Dan and David Stern were, were just disagreeing. You know, the intent, what it is, what the rule should mean, the gray area and all this stuff. And Stern's like, you are an opinion former, Dan. That is why I'm taking the time to come here. And he was like really combative, but it was, it was combative. It was just really impressive that he was like, I'm calling you because I think you're wrong. And because I think you're wrong and you have this just you have this platform and this radio show, I'm going to set you straight. And that's the only reason I'm doing this right now. Cause I feel like your voice is almost like toxic. And he and always I, felt like he was, he always felt like he was winning that too. It and was hard was, not to think he won it. Every one of those interactions, even if when I disagree with him, I mean, he was just so good. And I, I think there's something to be learned from when you're in power and it's really important and you have to make sure like you're getting your message across. You almost have to be defiant. I did. So I did five. I listened to the last one I did yesterday with him because the first couple pods I did with him, you're just, you're on defense. He's the master. He's, you know, this guy would have been one of the great attorneys of all time. If he had just kept doing that, he decided to become the NBA commissioner. Instead, he's going to use every misstep against you, every vocal, whatever. And you just have to be at the top of your game. And I didn't feel like, and I remember feeling that way when it happened, we did a, we did, it was like August, 2011. Now I'm telling my own story about David Stern, but it, but it's, it's the bigger point is I felt like I, I I'll allow it. I went in really strong. I, I had in my head, I'm going to hit him on these three things. I'm not letting him off here. Like I really went into it. Was like it, it the Chris Paul thing? Cause you were no, unbelievably Chris. Like, well, that's, really, that's when he turned on me. The Chris Paul thing. This you was, said it was his Waterloo. This was in August. Um, and we're going back and forth and I had, I knew I, I'd kind of guessed how he would answer certain things. And I had questions for what, where I thought his answer was going to go. And we, we just kind of boxed for an hour and I felt like I held my own. I was like, so proud of myself after, cause I was like, almost like a video game where you're like, I just played the best person at this video game. And I didn't like get my ass kicked. Cause it, at that point it seemed like the season was going to get canceled. When I, I wrote a piece after he vetoed the Chris Paul trade, that was probably too hard. I and thought it was too hard at the time. I I think it's probably one of the five columns I would do over again. He never forgave me for it. We were never the same. Did you talk? Or we talked, but it was never the same. I think he felt like uh, I went too far. Maybe I did. I don't know. I went back and read it and... You know, he they would the league owned the New Orleans franchise. Like that was insane that they did that. And then they're trading with other teams and they, all the way that was handled was egregious. It was really bad. I I believe the other owners 
just because of the fear of, oh, it's going to be Dwight Howard, it's going to be Chris Paul, it's going to be Kobe. Like, this is, and it's just, I mean, think how, the owners are no different than fans. They really right. aren't. Like, they They're can the get guys really, in your fantasy league. They can get really nasty about it. Yeah. But the uniqueness, which I thought always seemed to be lost historically on that, was that you're right, because they did collectively own it. Stern could go ahead and decide to not do the deal. So that what ended up being really stupid is that for years, every trade after the fact, like, oh, is Stern going to veto this one too? Like, well, it was a, it was a Bobcats Nets trade, right? Like, shut up, you know. And then the Pelicans end up with the number one pick. And I remember Rome asking him, being like, "Oh, the fix was in, huh?" And, you know, he was just doing it to get a reaction out of Stern. And Stern, and Stern came back hard. But I thought Stern was right; he should have come back hard. But even if you thought that it was Stern giving in to all the other owners, which I know you do believe, the uniqueness of the team being owned that way allowed him to do something he couldn't just randomly do a bunch of other times. I got to announce I was doing the draft his last draft when he was egging the Nets fans on and stuff and <laughs> yeah I remember being in the building for it and I saw him before and I hadn't done the draft yet and we shook and he had you know I was like hey how's it going and he kind of gave me that look like your dad would give you when you're in high school and your parents are going away for the night and they give you that look like if you have a fucking party I'm gonna I'm gonna absolutely kill you I will come home I'll strangle you but he came like, he was like, behave yourself on the telecast or like one of those. Just kind of <laughs> kind of laid it in like, don't fuck with me on this telecast. But didn't say that, said it with a smile. <laughs> and that was like the shit he did. He was he was like a larger than life guy. He really was. And, and I think we held him to such a high standard and got so disappointed with him in certain things because he was the best at this. You know, he was the smartest guy. He cared about the league the most. He really did. I really feel like he cared about the NBA more than anybody who owned it, worked for it, whatever. Like, he really felt invested. He felt like he saved the league. He got it to the point it's at, and he really cared about its well-being. So whether he got drunk with power the last 10, 12 years, it's up for debate. I certainly wouldn't, I w wouldn't be against the argument, but I do think it came from a decent place. So, all right, we're going to uh, take a break, talk to Seth Wickersheim. You want to do, do a tease for this? Yeah, um... All right, good stuff there with Bill Simmons and David Stern. But coming up next, some say Bunker Hill's the biggest upset in the history of New England. But I think it's going to happen in the wild card. <laughs> and now it's time for the State Farm Safe Bet of the Week. The team you can count on. That's right, I said team. If you're fumbling with insurance, State Farm agents are here to help. With over 19,000 agents, they're local to you and available to help whether you connect in person, by phone, or through the State Farm mobile app. Agents are here to help. Go with the one with the coverage and agents you can count on. You know who I count on in this football playoffs as we, as we head into round one here? They're not playing this weekend. I think the 49ers are really, really good. I've been impressed by them over and over and over again, with the exception of that weird Atlanta loss where I think that was there was some trap some trap game potential for them because they had the Rams and the Seahawks the last two weeks. They only lost three times. They lost to Seattle in overtime in a game they easily could have won. They lost at Baltimore week 13 in a super weird weather game that I didn't really learn a lot from. And I think if those two teams played again, it would be a completely different game. And then they lost the dumb Atlanta game. The Seattle game, I thought, in week 17, pulling that one out, the resilience that they showed. They've shown again and again. The thing with them is they've been in a lot of playoff games. 
And I just like their team. I think they're the fastest team. I like their skill position guys. I think they can throw on third down to multiple receivers. I think George Kittle's not only the best tight end in the league right now, but one of the most dangerous playmakers we have. I like that they can rotate running backs in. Um, I just like the team. So I'm looking at, all right, how do you profit this from this from a betting standpoint? Well, they are right now to win the Super Bowl. They're plus 350. Pretty appetizing. So you figure the second round, they're going to be playing the winner probably of Seahawks versus Eagles. Chalk that up to a win. Then the next round, New Orleans, Green Bay would be the problem. I think they're better than both of those teams. I don't love the plus 350, which is why I am looking, going a little unconventional here. You can bet on the Super Bowl MVP right now. You can bet on Jimmy G at 9-1, to one, and you can bet on George Kittle, the new Gronk. Gronk 2.0, is it fair to call him Gronk 2.0, Kyle? All out. 30-1. to one. So my advice as a safe bet would be if you like the Niners, I think they are the safest bet to win the uh, the Super Bowl, but I really like those two. I like Garoppolo at nine to one and Kittle at thirty to one. They're going to be favored if they make the Super Bowl, or they'll be like three point underdogs. You can go against it. Let's say they play Baltimore in the Super Bowl. We bet Lamar on the other side. Now you're covered with all the MVPs, um, and then you're riding out. I think Jimmy G with Kittle, with Debo, and with Sanders, he's got three guys that he knows he can go to, and I think he can put up stats in all of these playoff games. So that is my State Farm safe bet of the week. The team I can count on. It's the San Francisco 49ers. State Farm. Talk to an agent today. All right. We want to talk Pats. Nobody better to talk about the uh, the big picture of the Patriots than Seth Wickersham, senior um, senior writer of ESPN. Yeah, I was like, he wrote what? A, what? He wrote a piece two plus years ago after Kraft Brady, the Garoppolo trade, that I wrote a counterpiece saying that I just thought it was wrong or whatever. And um, that's, I mentioned columns I regret earlier when we were talking about David Stern. That's another one I regret because Seth was right. I take a huge L on that one. What was your take on that? Is I just, there... I didn't, I just thought it was too far-fetched that there was this much dissension and none of it had spilled out before, but Seth was on it. Seth, Seth was wired in. So I thought it would be fun to talk about the past with them. Seth, how are you? I'm great. You didn't need to say that, but I appreciate it. It was an interesting story. It was a weird time. It was a weird time. A lot of the Patriots, what you're starting to realize, 20 years of Kraft, Belichick, and Kraft, it's like one of those Irish Catholic families where everything's fine on the surface, but then at the Yankee swap on Christmas Eve, just Uncle Timmy starts screaming at Aunt Mo and just some shit starts pulling out. You're like, holy shit. Oh my God, where did this all come from? And that's kind of how we're feeling 20 years in. The reason we want to talk to you over just saying hello, there's a chance this is it for Brady and Belichick together on Saturday night. Do you feel like this could be it? Yeah. You know, the, the, the spine of my story back in 2018 was about Tom feeling like that, you know, he had, they'd come off that incredible win over the Falcons in the Super Bowl. And, you know, he felt like that he deserved a contract extension that's in line with some of these ones you see that like Drew Brees gets and that type of thing. And whether it was from the Patriots or somewhere else, he felt like that he had done enough that he deserved that. And he wanted it to be done with the Patriots. 
and he didn't get it. And he didn't get it last year, and he still hasn't gotten it. And he did have, you know, they've tinkered around with his contract um, every year, and this year they gave him, you know, a bit of a bump, but they didn't give him that long-term extension. And so, as you guys know, I mean, he set this thing up so that the concession that the Patriots made was that they cannot – he is a free agent in March. And unless something gets done ahead of time, he's free to go wherever he wants. And – that to me is fascinating and it'll be amazing to see how it plays out. Okay. You know what I'd like to do? Like kind of from there to now, what is real and what isn't? Yeah. Cause I, I Mm -hmm. I could see it ending. I could also see them all coming back. You know, I don't, I don't Mm -hmm. know. So like, I want to be careful here and like the amount of stuff that we have, you can be less careful, Seth. So feel free (laughs) to be reckless. Okay. Do you believe I think the way Bill and I do that the Garoppolo thing came down to Tom got sick of hearing about Garoppolo. He went to Kraft in one of the few times in 20 years, Kraft overruled Belichick and said, you know, get him out of here. And that's why Bill traded him the way he did. Maybe not for as much as he did, but did it to hook up Jimmy. And that's been start of a fracturing maybe with Bill and Kraft, but Brady winning some sort of power play. Well, I, you know, I think that, you know, Jimmy was Bill's guy and he drafted him in 2014, for a reason. And he was pretty transparent about it. And, you know, remember when, when Jimmy got traded, remember they traded Brissett in the, in the preseason. So they were entering the season with however old Tom was at the time, 41, I think. And Jimmy is a backup. And Bill had told everybody, coaches, anybody who wanted to talk that he was not trading Jimmy and they had tried to sign him to an extension. It was weird because, you know, first of all, Jimmy wants to play. Tom had been playing well and they share an agent. And so everything about it was odd, but you know, there's been some, you know, pushback on this and there's been some reporting that, you know, the Patriots didn't have a plan for Jimmy. They did have a plan. They didn't want to let him go. I don't think that Tom engineered this thing. I just think that like at the end of the day, Bill was backed into a corner and that's what he did. And so he texted Kyle Shanahan one morning and they hopped on the phone and, you know, he had a lot of respect for Kyle. Um, not only because his dad, Mike was, you know, a great coach who also stood up for bill to commissioner Roger Goodell in the middle of Spygate. Um, and, you know, essentially offered him Jimmy for a second rounder and, you know, within a day that deal was done. And when, when Jimmy was traded, I mean, you can go back and listen to the audio or, you know, Bill sounded sad and it was a player that he didn't want to part ways with. You think about like Jamie Collins and some of these guys who, who leave the Patriots and they get kind of kicked on the way out. I mean, Bill went on and on and on about what a great person, teammate, player Jimmy was and how happy he was in that situation. And then I think Bleacher Report came out with a report later that Bill had texted Jimmy after all of the 49ers wins that year. So, no, it's just a special situation with him. I just think that, like, again, with Tom, you know, look, if they win the Super Bowl this year, I think they're all going to come back. But Robert Kraft doesn't want Tom to play for another team. And, you know, I think Tom wants to at least see what's out there if they go early in the playoffs. Where he goes, I don't know. I think he has to go somewhere huge. And so I don't see him going to, you know, Nashville. I see him going to you know, I think the only cities he can consider would be places that are, that are really big markets. Um, and well, there's one, there's one market that makes the most sense if he was actually going to leave, which I hope he doesn't, but it would be the LA chargers, right? 
they I mean there's nothing I, really that they could do to be relevant in any way other than signing Tom Brady for two years and making him the poster boy for this move into the new stadium. And this comes down to what sports always comes down to. Sometimes you're just worth a lot to one party, you know? And if it's the chargers and they're like, we can't sell seat licenses. We have nobody who we have no Jersey to sell. Nobody's buying Austin Eckward jerseys in downtown LA. What can we do? What's the one move we can make? That would be a move. I think Tampa Bay is another one that, um, you know, it's all conjecture. The question is, what are you getting at this point from what we've seen from Brady this year? Okay, so let me jump in there because I think when I think of Belichick, we know he's the greatest, um, you know, like anything. When you're that good, you're like, oh, yeah, he's not very good at receivers. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't win you the argument about Belichick being good or bad because they haven't drafted receivers well. But we also know that he's um, he's described as petty, Um to to like massive levels by some or some spiteful. feel like the some feel like the Niners trade was petty that right. they could have gotten more for Jimmy and he was yeah. like you know what fuck this getting a second rounder for him that's it and Bob Kraft's argument about the Jimmy breakup which I think is good but also conceals maybe some of the other stuff is like hey look we couldn't afford both we couldn't afford both in the same position you're like okay well that on the surface but that's just not what's been been rumbling and that's why I kind of think this whole conversation is fun is like what do you think of all these things we've heard but do you think Bill would be to the point where post Brady, he'd want to prove some kind of point in new England. Or do you think the Brady Garoppolo thing and the fact it sounds like Antonio Brown isn't on the team anymore because the crafts didn't want him on the team where bill was upset about that too. And Brady was too. I yeah. think both of them were upset. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Do you think that and plug in any holes or you think I could be off on any of this stuff that bill would be motivated to try to prove something away from the crafts because, you know, I don't, I don't know how close, despite the 20 years of success with Bill and the Grasses, I don't know how much love there is. There might be respect and admiration for what they've accomplished, but I don't think it's this one big happy family either. I'm going to piggyback on that before you answer, Seth. I think Belichick over and over again has proven, even though he's not considered this way because he's the guy who, you know, he sucks in every press conference and that's how people know him. Like, ah, he doesn't care about this stuff. He actually really does care about this stuff. There's been two Belichick documentaries. He's done that, the do your job series. He participated, the NFL films followed him around what, five years Mm -hmm. ago for all behind Mm -hmm. the scenes for a whole year. And then he did this NFL top hundred show. He's on there for nine hours. The Saban HBO thing. Yeah. He's, he, he's on this show as a studio guy for nine hours and he was amazing. I really think he does care about history. And the the question for me and my fear as a Pats fan, because I think Brady is at the end of the line or close. I don't think Belichick's at the end of the line. I actually think he has, you know, maybe eight, nine years left. I would hate to see him look at this and go, you know, it'd be great for my legacy if I took the Giants to a Super Bowl, if I took Dallas to a Super Bowl, if I took over the Bears, like the, one of the three iconic teams. And that would be his last move. Do you think there's a world in which he leaves? Not after this year. I just think that they're committed to him. You know, at the time when I wrote the story, you know, there had been discussions at the highest levels about, you know, had things gotten so toxic that it was unsustainable. And, you know, I don't think that it's like that right now. I just think that, you know, there's a there's a decision that has to be made and that's, you know, whether Tom wants to resign or whether he wants to go look around and then, and, you know, maybe come back. I just, I don't know. You know, I think with Bill, when it comes to his legacy, 
you know, I know that it's been reported that he, you know, has wanted to prove that he could win without Tom and openly talked about it. That's something I've never heard personally. It doesn't mean it's not true. I, don't think, I think that either. Bill wants to walk away from the game, making sure that his two sons are set up well in the game. You know, they're both on the Patriots staff. And I think he has so much pride in his work that he wants the Patriots set up long-term to be successful when he, they go, you know, like um, when Bill Walsh retired and, and George Seifer took over for him, you know, Bill was so pissed. He, 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 he really thought that George was a bad coach and, you know, by turning things over to him, he thought they would fall off a cliff and then they went off and had like, you know, the best year that they had of that, of that team. And he was so angry and bitter and upset that his legacy had been lessened by George Seifer's success. I don't think Belichick's exactly the same guy. Hmm. Yeah, I I never bought the whole succeed without Brady thing. I think it's a fun theory. I know I've talked about it on this pod before. And there's certainly been moments, you know, when, like when Brady was suspended. I think Bra- I think Belichick loved the fact that he won those games. I just think that dude wants to win rings and he cares about the big picture of how he's going to be remembered historically. That's the only explanation yeah, for he why he does these shows. Yeah. So I think that the the point they're going to hit with Brady is if he feels like Brady's done as a marquee quarterback, would he be able to convince the Crafts to move on? I don't think so. Because I think Bob and Seth, you can speak to this. Mm-hmm. I think Bob would be like, I don't care. Tom's our guy. We can't get rid of Tommy. And that would be it. And then, then that becomes a staring contest. And I don't know how it plays out. It makes me nervous. All of this makes me nervous because <laughs> the reason we wanted to have you on in the first place to talk about this is because the Titans are a horrible matchup for the Patriots. They're playing better. All the stuff they do is, is kryptonite to what the Pats do. They have a bunch of expatriates. The recipe of how do the Patriots have a home upset is this game. Whether it'll happen or not, I don't know. But the Pats, are they look terrible. Uh, the Miami game was embarrassing. Fitzpatrick had three 75-yard drives. Fitzpatrick goes down the field 80 yards, down four. Four minutes left in Foxborough. Like, it's alarming. And I do I do wonder if this is, this is going to be it. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it's supposed to snow. I'm going to be at the game, actually. But it's supposed to snow, which is like a weird symmetry to, mm. you know, the very first playoff game they all had together yeah. at the old Foxborough stadium and, you know, Brady going out on the field without wearing, you know, wearing a short sleeve t-shirt just to prove that like the, you know, the cold weather wasn't going to get to him. And, you know, it's a weird, again, it's just like a weird dynamic. And I don't know. I don't think that, that, you know, I think the look, the Patriots do their evaluations of their players and they are tough. And people don't want to believe them, but they believe them. I mean, they are they are hard. Their internal internal evaluations of players are really hard on these guys. And you know, I don't know if Bill would like go to Robert and say, you know, Tom is no longer an elite player. At this point, it doesn't matter because you know Brady can leave. He, they can offer him all the money in the world. He can still go. Yeah. I just think that like you know Robert, and I think a lot of this goes back to the Flategate. You remember. In May, I think, of 2015 was when, after the Wells report came out, after the, the, the punishment was levied, you know, people were angry and Kraft got up at the owners' meetings and, and waved the white flag and, and accepted the penalty. Yes. And 
that combined with the way the press conference was handled before the Super Bowl, where Bill kind of put this thing in Tom's lap, um, you know, it 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 fractured things. That you know, combined with Jimmy, I mean, all those all those things came into play, and so, um, you know, I think that when you know Robert wants Tom, he never wants him to to wear another colored jersey, but you know, at the end of the day getting him to sign, you know, the contract that they signed, he forfeited the, the trade-off was he forfeited the ability to keep him here. And I think Robert Kraft, you say what you want about him, I think that dude can close. I think it is hard to walk into his office and leave. Right. Um, Especially to go to like to the Chargers. Yeah. You know what? I'm going with Dean Spanos. <laughs> but we'll see. Well, then then I think it's it's almost important to like recap kind of all of this in that you can hear a million different things. And I think it's always important to remind ourselves of this is that there can be something that can be fractured, but it doesn't mean that everybody leaves right away. But I don't know if, if it's us trying to be in front of it. I don't know if it's fear. Like, I don't know if it's fear that I'm still going to pick new England at home in this game, but if they were at home against Kansas city in the second round, I wasn't going to pick new England. There's it just feels- no way, but I, I don't know. I don't know if it's staring at us right now that this is over and the endings are never, they're never good this way unless it's Elway. I was talking to my dad about it on the phone this week and I was saying, and I hope I'm not right, but it has the makings of the 1990 Celtics. Sorry to bring this to another Boston team, but Celtics Knicks in 1990, the big three, it had that great run in the eighties. Bird gets hurt, hurts his back. He comes back. They're still good. They're not quite as good, but everybody's kind of waiting to kick, for it to kick in. Cause it's the big three. Well, they we're still a contender. We still have our guys. They take the two nothing lead against the Knicks. The Knicks win the next two. It goes back to the Garden for Game Five. All the signs are that the Knicks are younger, and you know they they have the matchups are in their favor, and Ewing, all this stuff. And just the attitude was, no, 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 we're the Celtics. We're fine. We're in the Garden. They can't beat. They can't beat us in the Garden. And then they beat us. And it was just that's when the Bird era kind of moved into something else. And. I look at this game and I'm like, man, this reminds me of that series where everyone who's picking the Pats, they're picking it because of past performance and Brady and Belichick and 20 years of excellence, 19 years of excellence, whatever. And it has nothing to do with what's happening right now, which is this team that, you know, if Josh Allen hits the tight end in the back of the end zone, that game's going to overtime. Last week, they, they legit lose to Miami, who's got nothing to play for. I still cannot believe you couldn't get off the field. Couldn't get off the field. That defense, like it's not even about and Brady then, at that point. And then the other thing is, you know, they really try to address this offense and they spend a first round pick on Harry. They trade a second rounder for Sanu. Sanu. They spend another first rounder on Sony Michelle. It's not like they haven't tried to give him weapons. It's just yeah, whether but the it's rest worked of it, out hasn't really worked. That part though, like I was reading different debates about like the resources that they have or haven't used in the receiving game. And it's like, okay, well they knew Gronk was leaving. That's when the, they, that's when the they big wanted, one that kills. When he was threatening to retire, had he been traded, then you needed to come up with a better backup plan than Ben Watson, who I don't even think when it was peak Ben Watson, I'd argue Brady didn't trust him the first time. Yeah, he had I didn't want Ben okay? Watson at age 28. So, so every now and then I forget Ben Watson. I'm like, oh, that's right. Ben Watson is still on the team. So there's no tight end that he feels a threat. Devlin is a loss. But then yep. when you say, okay, well, they spent a first rounder on Nikhil Harry. Well, that felt like the first round where the league drafts more on need than the NBA ever does. Yeah. Um, Sanu was not, I don't know how you end up giving up a second rounder for Sanu, who's kind of nice. I just and thought like, he was better. Yeah. That guy who's, if you're in a 12 
team fantasy league where you're like, oh, Sanu's available. Yeah, like, that's, that's who Sanu is. And then you go <laughs> Gordon, who it's not if, it's just when he's going to get suspended. And same and thing then, with Antonio Brown. And, and Brown, who you who just left chaos behind. Yeah. And 12 hours later, Belichick signs actually a bad team deal on the Brown contract based on the way the language was. So, yeah, that's a lot of stuff. But every one of them individually, you're like, this was the best you were going to come up for. And on top of the fact that everyone around the league thinks that Brady has some sort of side deal. Right. And so why is Brady have this group? Like, why is it always, okay, we know we're really good and all these different things, but that part of it was just a miss. And it, Well, the, but the thing is, they unlike 06, where it's like Rache Caldwell and that whole crew, and they just cheaped out, they actually did try to, you know, use real assets to get him help, and it didn't work out. But Seth, they were all massive question marks. But did you hear, one, Seth, did you hear about, but, um, supposedly they were getting Jared Cook, but then Gronk was holding them hostage, and then Jared Cook ended up signing with the Saints. And they had no, no other plan I didn't for hear that. that. I mean, it's just obvious to me. You know, they don't. What they've been so good at the past couple of years is just having matchup problems. I mean, Edelman is really. You know, he's good. He's great at creating space. White was a matchup problem, and finally, like Gronk was, like the biggest matchup problem in the NFL since like Randy Moss in his prime. I mean, you know, and he could block, and right. so you know, they just had all kinds of ways to stay ahead of defenses and they just, they don't have them anymore. I mean, all that said, I mean, they're still, you know, you, you still have to beat them. And I mean, I might be wrong with this. I mean, I like them this weekend. If, if they go into Kansas city, that to me is the hardest game. I think that would be harder than playing in Baltimore for them. Yeah. Just because Kansas city is so versatile. They can do so many different things. It's in Kansas city. Their defense is better playing the Ravens. I kind of like bill playing a second year quarterback, for the second time in a year. I don't know. I could be wrong. Cold weather Lamar. What is that? <laughs> What's <laughs> that's the whole thing, right? He sucked last year in the cold. Then this year he would I mean, put Lamar up 20 points in like cold. The, that's the only hope. Lamar with would just get like the Marshall Falk treatment. I right. mean, they would blow him up on every play. So what is the feeling around the league? Cause you, you've been known to talk to the rich guy circles in the NFL. What is their feeling from afar watching what's going on in new England right now? Because you know, if you're going to say, man, this, this might be it. It's like, well, they, it's been going on for 20 years. This is to have the same three people for two solid decades will probably never happen again. Maybe not even just in football. We might not see Nothing. that ever happen in any other sport again. What is the feeling around the league, watching it from afar, hoping that it's going to blow up? Yeah. I mean, people are like cautiously optimistic, right? I mean, you know, the first 10 or so games of the year, I don't think anybody was feeling that great. The Baltimore game was obviously, you know, that exposed them in a way. Yeah. You know, the Chiefs got out of there with a win. Um, you know, I mean, people are cautiously optimistic. I mean, I think there's a sense of like, look, if we come in and we play the Patriots and we play at our best, we can win. And I don't think that that's always been the case. Like, I think they're always like, hey, we got to play our best and you got to hope for three or four things. Yeah. You know, Tom's off. Gronk gets hurt, whatever it is, Edelman's dropping the ball, you know, I think, so there's like a little bit, there's a little flicker of hope, but like, you know, I think you're right in that the Miami game is a different, what happened last week was different. Like that, that's different than losing to the chiefs or the Ravens. I mean, they simply could not, like you said, they couldn't get Ryan Fitzpatrick off the field. He went right down the field on them. Gilmore was really bad in that game. Um, so you know, I think stuff like that 
gives people a little bit of a ray of hope. And then, you know, you look at even like against the Rams. I mean, you know, Wade Phillips' defense played the Patriots hard. It was, it was the, you know, he played them great the entire game until the last six minutes. And so, you know, again, I think that people think they, the Patriots can be beaten, but, um, you know, someone's got to do it. And I don't, I don't think it's going to be Tennessee. I like, uh, I like Seth talking about the parallels of the snow game. I call it the snow game. Other people call it the tuck roll game. The snow game, I call it. We call it the snow game in my family. But the parallels, that was also Saturday night. 2001. Yeah. I think it was the last was, Saturday uh, of December. No, no. I think no. it was. Was it? I think it was. No, I don't. I don't, I don't. It was either last Saturday in December or 1st first. January in let's, let's 2002, it up, whatever it was. I was in Trenton, and I remember I just moved. But, uh, but yeah, same thing. And I actually had tickets for that game. And the snow was so bad, we decided not to go. And it's probably my number one sports fan ticket regret of my lifetime. Yeah, that's January 19th, 2002. January no Oh, you know that's why? Because of, uh, yeah, of 9-11. Yeah, yeah they, they, I forgot about that. You're right. So there you go. Yeah, little symmetry there. Um, Seth, are you going to be writing about this? I don't know. I mean, I'm not working on anything on the Patriots, if that's what you're asking. You know, you know, as we want, this is Tom's last game in New England, you know, who knows? But, you know, there's nothing big that I'm working on Patriots-wise. Question then, because you're a big franchise guy, owner's movement, if there, this were the end of Brady and, say, Belichick went somewhere else, would the Patriots be back and play for Hartford? <laughs> <laughs> the Hartford hot dog trucks. They're back. Remember when they brought Bruce Armstrong to the mall, the Harvard Civic Center, and they did like a whole thing in the late nineties. They're like, Hey, like, this is what's, this is. I remember the, the first time I met Brady, it was 2001. We were both a year out of college. You know, he had, he had at that time, I think that Bill had given him the starting job. So it was, it was post that, that's that Rams loss when Bledsoe was back. And, um, you know, I was doing a story on him for ESPN magazine and he said, yeah, let's just meet at the stadium. And I'd never been to Foxborough before. I drive right by it. Like I didn't realize that was actually the stadium, right. the the old Foxborough stadium. We finally, we meet, we meet in like the team shop and you know, we were walking out and he looked at, at the time Gillette was under construction and he looked at it and he was like, man, I hope I get to play there one day. And I'll never forget wow. that. Like, can you imagine him saying that My back God. then? I hope it's not it. Seth, my my worst fear is that two weeks from now, if they lose to Tennessee, you're writing your whole feature of here's why Brady is leaving the Patriots. It would be my worst case scenario. Just so you know. Oh, if, you're, if your byline's on that, I'll know something went horribly wrong on Saturday night. Uh, good luck. Thanks for coming on. It was a pleasure. Great to talk to you guys. That was Seth Wickersham. We have Peter Schrager, NFL Network, scheduled coming up next. Some rank him in the top three of best-looking people on Good Morning Football. But before, let's do a quick look at the scoreboard in California high school basketball. Ace Charter taking on Harker what? a little later tonight. Yep. Soledad uh, going up against San Lorenzo Valley. Nice. And Balboa off to a tough start, Bill. Two yeah. and nine. Terra Nova, they're four and six. That's a six o'clock tip. James Lick, that's what she said, taking on Evergreen Valley. James Lick off to an 0 and seven start. <laughs> San Jose hoping to not get taken out beside the Woodside. Later tonight, Woodside off to a 7-0 start. They've, San, they've been good. San Mateo, 7-1 going up against Oceana. Oceana missing some dudes from sources I've talked to. And then we'll finish off the night with Wheatland at Rancho 
San Juan. Your high school scores every 20 minutes right here on the Bill Simmons Podcast. All right, January is here. That means January sports are here. Pro football playoffs, college football season, wrapping up, NBA, full swing. If you're excited as I am about the best sports month of the year, enjoy the action on FanDuel Sportsbook, America's biggest online sportsbook for a reason. All the bets you want, a great, easy-to-use app. Once you win, you get your cash fast. If you want to try it right now, they're giving their users a free $50 bet just for signing up. Yeah, it's that easy. So if you want to bet against Philadelphia this week, which we're going to recommend a little bit later, the million-dollar picks with Seattle minus two, free $50 bet. Just do it. Seahawks win. You got 50 bucks just for showing up. It's available for a limited time. Don't wait to get your piece of the action. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app on iOS or visit FanDuel.com slash Android. Be sure to sign up with promo code BS to get your free $50 bet. FanDuel.com promo code BS. Must be 21 present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Indiana. Free bet issued as non-withdrawable site credit expires seven days after receipt. $10 minimum deposit required to withdraw any winnings. Terms apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And if you want to have a little more gambling insight, I would encourage you to check out Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, where they broke down a lot of the football stuff this week, too. All right, let's bring in Peter Schrager. All right, we want to talk about round one. We're going to make some picks at the tail end of this podcast. Right now, Peter Schrager from Good Morning Football, and he pops on all these different Fox telecasts. Are you working this weekend? I'll be on the Fox NFL kickoff show, the one before the actual pregame show on Sunday. So I'll be in LA. Oh, I like that show. I watch that show. Thank you. Yeah, it's a good Colin one. Colin Coward. I know you guys both know him well. Colin is always a, an interesting one. That's fun. Right. He, I like he comes in the first 10 minutes. He's going to come in hot on something. And everybody knows he's it. Real hot. He's at, on one, some sort of angle. He's coming big. Like, the Titans are a lot like a salad bar. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what are you most excited about for round one? I am so into this Titans-Patriots game. Mm. I there's so much intrigue in this thing. And uh, I just, I'm, I'm ready to just sit on a couch in sweatpants and just watch that game for all of its grandeur, whether it goes one way that is the end of the dynasty or another way where it's like, shut, shut, everyone shut the hell up. We're not dead yet. I just can't wait either way. What are you, which side are you leaning on? So I did the sidelines two weeks ago on that Saturday game, Bills versus Patriots. So on Thursday of that week, we got to sit with Belichick and Brady for like an hour each. And I'm sitting in the production meeting and you get to like, you know, ask him any question. And Brady was fantastic. And Brady says, you know, we're one of those teams that like, you're never going to knock us out. Like we're going to go 15 rounds. You're going to have to drag our bloody asses out of the ring to beat us. And I'm like ready to run through a wall. and. The one thing he said, though, was like, you know, if we beat Miami, that means we get a bye, we get to rest. Then we get to go, you know, play a home game on a usual Saturday night divisional round against anybody. I'll take us home against anybody. And then it's a one-game elimination somewhere else, and I trust us. And I'm, I'm walking out of there like, all right, Patriots are going to the Super Bowl. Like, Brady is locked in. And then week 17 happens, and I know you and Cousin Sal talked about it for a long time. I was like, it's the most preposterous, bizarre loss I might have ever seen in my years of watching football. And so now I'm completely torn and I'm just rooting for the Patriots because I love the angle of him having to go into Baltimore or into Kansas city 
to proclaim like you know his last rights on this thing. I'm not dead yet. I, it can't lose to Tannehill and the Titans. It can't end that way. We might have to go to both places. Might yeah. have to go, go first, KC, right. then Baltimore, and then ironically end up in Miami, the house of horrors for him forever. I interrupted Rosilla. How did this Tannehill thing happen? Because if you split the season in half, you know, not every number tells the, the most accurate story, but I know this, like he's been really good, the best he's ever played or the best he's ever looked. Even though you go back and look at just the raw stats from the Miami years, you'll look at back at those and go, wait a minute, was he better than I thought? Yeah. And then it's like, no, 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 live in the moment. Remember how frustrating it was. The numbers aren't. I don't think these numbers are misleading that way. So what happened here with Tannehill that's given them kind of this, this balanced offense? I go back to his draft, which is so long ago, and everyone saying this guy is the next great NFL quarterback despite playing one season in college at quarterback. Like scouts were doing flips over Ryan Tannehill's athleticism and how smart he was, and the you know the the Antonio Gates played basketball, or Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard. That was that. Oh, you know Ryan Tannehill was pre med. Like this, he had it all, and then it didn't work out in Miami. But as recent as a couple Thursday nights ago in September, October. They were losing with Mariota to the Jaguars in the rain in one of the worst football games ever played. So what happened to him? Well, he bet on himself, which I always like. He said, I'm taking a one-year deal with the Tennessee Titans because I believe I can get that starting gig. And he's been the most prepared quarterback in the building since he got there. And those guys are believing. Like There's a little play against the Chiefs where he jumped over two guys and took a hit and then went into the end zone and he was spiking the ball. And it was like... This is Ryan Tannehill who has had ACL issues saying, I'm ready to jump over dudes and risk it all and do this and lay it on the line. And he just got them all believing. And sometimes whether it be Nick Foles or Ryan Tannehill or Joe Flacco in those years, like it doesn't matter about the stats or what he did in his previous stop or whatever he can do on a practice field in those moments he's delivered. And yet I think everyone's blowing this week 17 win over against the Texans backups a little bit out of proportion here. You think that the Titans, or world beaters, if you listen to anyone on my show or anyone on ESPN or the rest of sports media, you're like, well, the Titans are this incredible team. Yeah, but they lost to the Saints two weeks ago and they lost to the Texans three weeks ago. So I, I don't see them as this team that's going to make this miracle run. No, Der- Derrick Henry banged up, though, in fifteen, week 15 and 16. Would bet, I guess would be the only counter. I was stunned. I was doing all my research trying to figure out who to bet on this weekend. After week six... So week six were more than one third of the way through the season. They were 29th in DVOA offensively. So there's only three teams worse offensively Honestly, than Honestly, Mariota was that bad. Well, I that's mean, the thing. Just, he really, he'd watch those games and, you know, against the Browns, like they'd hit on a play where a lot of the yard was after the catch. And you'd go, but that's okay, the thing. They scored 41 out. points in that week one and they and were they still, still 29th. Right. Where do you think they finished? Uh, 14th. Sixth. Offensive wow. is yeah. a weighted offensive DVOA. No, they were sixth offensively in DVOA. And in weighted, they were fifth. So in 11 weeks, he took them from 29th to sixth. And then you look at all the That's other like stats. That's like the Baltimore defensive numbers because they were they were bad. Right. The first time. And then you look the up. The Marcus like, Peters trade. Yeah. And then you, you think like Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown are the two best skill position guys in this game by far, right? you're doing a fantasy draft. Devlin's still out, right? <laughs> Devlin's out. <laughs> Maybe you take Landon Roberts. I don't know. I don't know if you count him. Yeah. But yeah, Henry Henry is probably healthy, the scariest running back in the league other than Saquon. Who are, you, who are your top three running backs right now for one playoff game, Schrager? Uh, Derrick Henry's number one. I'll probably go Dalvin Cook if he's healthy, number two. 
And then number three, I would take Mark Ingram if his calf is all right. Those are my three. Wow. Would you put, if Saquon was in the playoffs, would you have him over yeah. all three of those guys? Yeah, and Nick Chubb, too. Those two guys had great seasons. And McCaffrey, of course, Nick I Chubb. put him in the conversation. <laughs> my guy, Freddie Kitchens, the only guy who could stop Nick Chubb. That was it. That was it. <laughs> uh, Tennessee, you know, Taylor Luan was suspended the first four weeks. This guy, Jonu Smith, didn't show up until about a yeah. month ago, and now he's tremendous. Yeah. And they start believing, like, it's one of those deals. And I don't know. I, I know all the coordinators and the coaches a little bit, and it's, like, so fascinating. This guy, Arthur Smith, has been with the Titans through, like, five regimes as an offensive line coach and the tight ends coach. Matt LaFleur takes the gig in Green Bay and he gets elevated. Everyone's kind of like shrugging their shoulders, like really Arthur Smith. And you're going to see him on Saturday. You're like, that does not look like your typical NFL like, young offensive coordinator. 34-year-old guy, Arthur Smith takes it and they're doing things that are really creative. And it's with guys that have body types that are not normal for the NFL. Like Derrick Henry should not be doing this in today's NFL at that size. It's just like such a throwback. And of course, you've got Jonu Smith playing out of the backfield. Like, very creative and not in the McVay, Kyle Shanahan. We're going to go with a crazy jet motion sweepway. Crazy in that they use matchups well, and they're kind of sneaky, tough to match up against because they're so big and because they're so physical, but they're also so athletic. Yeah. You want to do Buffalo Houston? Or do you want to stay on this? Yeah. No, I'm done. I, I can't talk about the Pats Titans game anymore. I'm, I'm so You'll pessimistic find with it. I'm waiting. Am I, <laughs> I'm just waiting to have that like moment. It, it never ends like well. This, right? I mean, it honestly, doesn't. most of these things, that's why they end. end. Well. This isn't neat. Like this was supposed to end so many years ago. It's, and it didn't. It's already like 10 years past when it should have ended. I remember doing the first, like I used to love doing this segment. I still do it every now and then with NBA players. Like I'll give you an over, like Chris Paul, half a ring over under <laughs> right, right. his career, right? <laughs> At one point with Dwight Howard, we were doing two and a half over yeah. under, right? Now it's, he's a half guy. Um, LeBron would be interesting at like one. Okay. I think we did it with Brady in 2011. Like, will this be the, yeah. how many more would have been Super Bowls? 0.5. Like yeah. how many more Super Bowls will he even get to after this Giants one? So what's the, what's the Trey Young over under half, just zero half, half. half. Okay. Uh, let's talk, uh, the other AFC for a second. Texans bills. I hate this game. I don't, I'm probably will end up not gambling on it because Houston with Wolf Fuller versus Houston without Wolf Fuller. It's like, it's like Jekyll and Hyde. And if you bet on Houston and you have Wolf Fuller for two quarters and then he gets hurt and then it's like, Oh God, I'm fucked. They don't have Wolf Fuller. And I just feel like it's a stay away. What's your take on this game? It's so hard to bet or to have any faith in the Texans, right? When they beat, you know, the Patriots, they'll lose to the Broncos at home or right when they beat the chiefs, they'll lose to Kyle Allen and the Panthers at home in a lost season. They're so, so hard to, to gauge what version you're going to get. And I, and, you know, you guys have talked about like it's they're the Tessin Booger classic every Saturday wildcard weekend, you're getting a Texans game. And if you're in on them, it's well, that's your own fault. I, I, I can't get behind the Texans in a big spot because there's so many times I haven't. And yet this Bills team, they're not going to, they're going to beat the, they're not going to beat themselves. You're going to have to beat them. Like, the Patriots, that was an incredible way that they won that game. And even Josh Allen had a shot at the end, first and goal from the eight-yard line. Yeah, I just don't see this Buffalo team being scared. And I definitely don't think they're going to be outcoached in this one. I think Buffalo brings it, and I think Buffalo actually wins. Weighted DVOA, Rosillo. Buffalo's ninth. Houston's 23rd. Houston's stats 
are terrible. Like going into that New England game and looking at the fact that New England couldn't move the football against the team. And I think they had gotten one of their corners back, but still, yeah. like, I love whenever that happens. A team is terrible defensively. They get one cornerback and have a good game. You're like, oh, I was surprised to see that. But like, are you kidding? Steve Jones was yeah. back. He's their, he's their dime. Right. Like, you really, guy. <laughs> really think that, like that's the difference of 20 points a game, a fucking corner. Right. Um, sorry to be so like, but it just happens like every single week. I still, as, as, I am I'm a little lost on this one, but I'm not taking Josh Allen on the road. So that's the playoff manifesto right. that I've worked on forever and listened to most of the time. Taking Josh Allen in this game violates the manifesto. And it's the same thing that would happen in New England, right? They were dead even with New England. You were on the sidelines for that game, Schrager. Yes. Josh Allen, oh. he made that one incredible throw to Brown for the touchdown. But that game came down to that throw to Dawson Knox, and he just sailed it into, like, the row one. And yeah. he's going to have a moment like that in this Houston thing. And my fear is you bet Buffalo, you take the two and a half, like, this is great. I think they can win. And then at some point in that three hours, you're looking at it going, I have Josh Allen, and I'm betting against Deshaun Watson. This sucks. No way. Yeah. I mean, then you just summed it up right there. They're getting Watt back, Fuller's game time, which means he probably is playing. I mean, but, again, I shouldn't even say that kind of thing, but this isn't about loving Houston. I like Buffalo's defense better than Houston. I mean, that's not even yeah. debatable. But. I just worry about them being able to move the ball. And then Josh Allen, he has, so they've had, they played uh, five game, five good teams, five quote-unquote playoff teams, right? They played the Pats twice. They played Philly. They played Tennessee. They played Baltimore. And the Bills, 14.2 points a game. So... Yeah what's a realistic point total for them, right? It's somewhere between 14 and 20. And Houston, they have a way of just, you think they're, they're and all of a sudden it's a like three-play drive and they've just scored. That's what I think the I Watson I find it hard to believe is, them right. being under 20 for the game, Houston. That's that's. I'm, a not, I'm not a huge X's and O's matchup guy. This Trey White is incredible. I think he can cancel out DeAndre Hopkins. Mm, and then cancel? you're looking at Deshaun Watson with, I, 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 he's fantastic. And, Here's the other part. Josh Allen, like we did their game and we got to meet with him too and all this stuff. And I know everyone rolls their eyes. Well, we spoke to Josh Allen, he said, but yeah. it was one of those deals where he's like, I'm not phased. Like I grew up on a cantaloupe farm in California. I went to Wyoming and now I'm in the freaking NFL. Like if I was going to be phased, I was going to be phased at some point in the last two years. So they go into Pittsburgh. They're playing renegade by sticks. Everyone's going nuts with terrible towels. And he drives them down 80 yards and scores a touchdown and shuts everyone up. Like, I don't think, there's a pee down your leg factor with Josh Allen just because he's this six foot six, like gun slinging, big old barrel of a dude who's comes from a small town and is already in the NFL. Like, it's not like this is suddenly, oh, wow, I have to go to Reliant Stadium on a Saturday. Like, I don't think it's going to phase him. Unfortunately, he's just not that accurate. Yeah, I'm not even talking about him. I just being want phased. accuracy in a playoff yeah. game. Just like, can you throw taking, the ball in a I'm straight not line to right over Deshaun Watson? I think it's a stay away. What, and Tessator's doing this game, right? I don't know how that factors oh, yeah. into the line. Hey, Boog, I ever tell you about cantaloupes? <laughs> because I'll tell you this. Josh Allen knows his way around a cantaloupe like few guys in the league. It's pretty good. It's a good test. Can Tess, I do it? How, 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 soon, how soon do they go to the Frank Reich comeback? Houston versus Buffalo. Oh, my God. Uh, is that like the first quarter or do we wait a little bit out of commercial second quarter? I, I still don't understand why they're not the Oilers. Like, what happened there? 
How we ended up with the Texans and why they just didn't circle back and be like, wait a second, what are we doing? The Oilers are Houston Oilers is such a cool name. Let's just let's just go back. Yeah, that would have made sense. Cool uniforms too. Yeah, amazing. All right, so we don't know about the oil industry though. Rockefeller got to start in that Pennsylvania area, which never is brought up historically (laughs) when you talk about domestic oil production. Uh, (laughs) NFC Saints Vikings. This line still feels a little high to me. It's eight points. And Cousins, they the, the whole primetime thing everybody throws out. I certainly don't love betting on them in national televised games. But Cook is back. They'll get some form of Thielen, right? Would it be like 75, 80% of Thielen? He'll be out there, yeah. They'll be able to move the ball. So I look at it, when I look at a line that's over a touchdown, I look at it two ways. One, do I think the team can win? I wouldn't be like shocked if Minnesota won. And then two, could they get a garbage TV late? Wouldn't be shocked if they were down 14 and Cousins got, you know, a touchdown with 90 seconds left in the clock or whatever. Um, More important, like the Saints as a home playoff team, I think we have this this sense of them in our heads as this team, like, oh, the the 09 run, right? Where it's like, no, nobody, nobody could beat them in a dome. They just rolled through everybody. Their last three home games, they lost to the Rams by three in the playoffs. They beat Philly by six, and they beat Carolina by five. It's And they really haven't had a lot of home playoff games even this decade. The last blowout they had was 45-28 over Detroit like seven years ago. They lost two uh, important D-linemen. On the flip side, they're playing really well. And I think a lot of people are just penciling them in. What's the case for the Vikings here? Case for the Vikings is that Mike Zimmer has known Sean Payton since they were on Parcells' staff in Dallas. This team has beaten this team two years ago. I know it's a Minneapolis miracle, but the core of the Vikings quarterback aside is all still there. And they're not scared of the Superdome. They're not scared of Drew Brees. They've beaten these guys before. So that's your argument, but this could be one of those. And guys, tell me if, if I'm wrong at 145 Eastern on Sunday, but it could just be 21 nothing Saints, and away we go before we even get out of bed. It could be one of those. It, where the Saints are just so hot, and that place is so revved up, and the Vikings are coming in, and it's like, all right, we're, this is just, you know, we shouldn't be a wild-card team or a wild-card round team. We went 13-3. and three. We're going to beat the piss out of them. Like, I, I wouldn't be shocked if it goes either way, where it's a slugfest or it's one of those where it's just a runaway train early. What do you think, Rosillo? I hate to make this that simple again, but even though the stats, like if you want to cut off the beginning of the year and then go from Cousins the rest of the way, he was incredible. But the problem is we saw the Green Bay game. We A lot of us, I think, were watching the Seattle game. You know, I know the Green Bay game was one of those games, and you just go, you know, like I, I'm not telling you he sucks. I just, I don't, I don't really trust him. I'm not going to trust him against New Orleans. Does Chris Long trust him? I think he's the last guy who trusts him. Chris Long likes him. He he likes. He's cousins. in on cousins. But I, he, he always comes up on your pods with them. Yeah. What what this feels like <laughs> a little bit though, because it's it's something I touched on today with the Bulls, where the SEC love has pissed off so many other corners of the country that they're so sick of it. When it's still accurate, the SEC is the best conference. Uh, maybe not by the margins that we had, you know, ten years ago. I don't think it is. But that now when the SEC team doesn't blow out the opponent, it's like, oh, I thought that this was the big bad conference. You're like, no, it's just the best conference of all the conferences. But yeah. it doesn't mean that everybody gets their ass kicked every single time. So now the reason I make that comparison here is that with Cousins, like there's a lot of pro-Cousins numbers. I've I've looked through all of these. Yeah. 
but I still think on third and nine in a close game, close playoff game, and then factor in at New Orleans. And they're a really balanced team. They're good. They're top 10 offense. They're top 10 defense. But I don't I don't trust them. New Orleans second in weighted DVOA right now. I guess the, the recipe for Minnesota would be Cook's Cook again. They're running the ball, controlling the clock, shorten the game a little bit, like the classic win on the road recipe. I also don't know what's going on in Minnesota's secondary sometimes. Like, I'll, I'll look at yep. some of the stuff that happens back there, Peter, and I don't know if it's... No, you know, like corners. three years ago, you'd say you put, you put Xavier Rhodes on Mike Thomas and we're good. Well, Xavier Rhodes isn't the same guy anymore, and no. it's kind of in confusion. Yeah. And Harrison Smith was the best safety of his decade. Okay, well, where was you know, it wasn't the same numbers this year. They're, the mini defense has these great flashes, and I think their best player is Daniel Hunter up front, but it's not what it was a couple years ago when they made that run. I'm actually fascinated to see what version of that unit we see also because Mike, Mike Thomas hasn't been able to get stopped this entire season, and you know they're game planning. It just is. Can they find a way to muster up enough strength to keep him limited and always keep this a game early? Announcers love talking about Mike Thomas. You know, people think you need to be a speedster. Everyone's looking for the next Tyreek Hill. And here's a guy that just gets open. He just gets open. Watch this. Watch what he does here. He gets open. They love, they love the guys with like the four, five forties. Yeah. And it's like, as if being slow, that's is good. like, it's like a split of a yeah, split second. Yeah. Yeah. I never saw Jerry Rice get tackled from behind. I don't care what he ran. <laughs> you know, like, that's I just love it. And I just, I just, when you're, you're so right to point that out. Cause then you want to be like, should we just start taking all four, eight guys then? Yeah. Is that, is that the, is that the speed doesn't matter anymore? Yeah. Apparently no. the yeah. slower, the better receiver. I want him. Give me slow. Yeah. Uh, Seahawks Eagles. This one breaks about nine manifesto rules where I just love the Seahawks. <laughs> they, the Seahawks look so obviously like a better pick. The Eagles, their nine wins, Giants twice, Washington twice, the Jets, Chicago, crappy Dallas, they split with, and then they beat Buffalo and they beat Green Bay. Their seven losses, Atlanta, Detroit, Miami, Dallas, and then Minnesota, New England, and Seattle. And you're just like, how are you in the playoffs? And then you have this weird Seattle team that went nine and two in one score games. Nine and two in one score games. Yeah. I think had a halftime lead only five times right. all season. Always behind. Uh, I think they were behind in 11 and 16, if I look at it. And But I think that their, their San Francisco game is everything about them. And I don't think there's another player. Like, I think Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. But I don't know if there's, I'm just going to say it. There's no player I trust more in a spot than Russell Wilson. Even though it didn't work out and they got the delay again. Of all the QBs right now. Everybody. No, I'm talking the entire league. Any position, oh. whatever. Like a guy that I think Even looks, punters? I've never trusted punters. I think they wear jackets <laughs> around. You know, they wear all the gear in college. Justin they show Tucker? Up to class. Like, oh, are you on the football team? And be like, yeah, sort of. <laughs> I, I just never, quit crew. I'm punting now. Yeah, I never liked those guys. Justin Tucker you trust? You don't trust as much as Wilson? I do trust Justin Tucker. I really trust Justin Tucker. Yeah, I think everybody Seems does. Seems like a rough hang, though. What, are you saying he's a dork? I had the press conferences. <laughs> I think he could scale it back. Scale it back. <laughs> scale back in the press conferences. It's a good thing he's accurate, is all you're saying. Seahawks, Eagles, what do you think, Schrager? I have such a heart, such a place in my heart for this version of the Eagles. I got, practice squad is one of the most fun things like to analyze here because these players can go anywhere they want 
the practice squad and the agents just talk to the front offices and they're like, all right, how much can you pay him? Oh, it's the same exact amount as the other 31 teams. All right. Uh, we'll join your practice squad because there might be a chance he can develop. And they've got an entire offensive practice squad guys that all stepped up and are great. Like Boston Scott is great. And Greg Ward is great. And Josh Perkins is great. And none of these guys were on the starting 53 to start this thing. So it's amazing. There's got to be some psychological thing. And maybe Ryan, maybe you and Chris Long have gone into it in depth. I don't know. But Carson Wentz, once you got rid of all the starters, became Superman. And he's better with these guys than he was with Aguilar and Jeffrey and whoever else. So I always will ride the hot hand. I've been the hot hand on the Eagles the past few years. And I'll tell you, when that team gets hot, there's something about that coach. He doesn't jump off the page. He doesn't look like McVay or Shanahan. But Doug Peterson has those guys ready to run through a wall. And at home, late afternoon, Philly crowd, give me the Eagles. I would, I would tell you, or I'd be able to know if, like Chris thought, certain things are fraudulent because he's yeah. told me things that yeah, I just know I can't repeat. Things yeah. I'll never say. I know I can repeat this is that that group loves Peterson. Yeah. Okay. And I remember seeing, I don't forget Peter, if it was one of you guys in good morning football or wh whoever it was kind of presenting the theory, like, well, how come Wentz has been better without some of these other guys? I don't, I don't know that I'd agree with that just because I also remember the Miami game when they gave up a million points. Yeah. Um, but oh, that was, was the deep. Right. Yeah. Again, that's the defense. That's not Jeffrey or Aguilar being out of the game. But I think it's Wentz and how special he is. And I really like, because I've watched almost all four of these games, totality with the Eagles going, I now I know why people, not just the MVP almost year in 2017, but there's a reason why, like the football people, the all 22s, the real breakdown guys are like, Wentz's talent is there's not five guys more talented than right. him throughout this stuff, even if at times he, he's a little frustrating. But the way he's adapted to, I'm going to be throwing it in the flat all the time. And he's perfected that. That that Goddard throw on third down last week was Unreal. insane. Unreal. Um, and then I think the better quarterbacks know once everything's going off and your timing's going to be off, like they have to to move their speed up. And Wentz did that probably as well as anybody, where I look at a guy like Baker, once things got hot and a little chaotic, he became worse because he started anticipating chaos when it wasn't even there. So Worse is an understatement. Yeah, but what... Long is always kind of saying is like one that Wentz is the real deal. So the point where he became an apologist for him, but Chris wouldn't say it unless he believed it and that they all love Peterson. And as he's reminded me over and over again, he goes, you can do anything in the link. He's like, you can do anything there. So even if you think Seattle's better, where there's some real weird, odd offensive holes in that team, um, he's, he's just, it's not because he played there and he loved everybody. He loves the city. He's very compelling. He, he, it's convincing, I would say, when he starts talking up the Eagles. You know, the funny thing with the Eagles, I had Jeffrey on my fantasy team. Alshon, yeah. He looked shot all season. He could not get open. He couldn't jump. How many he, times you try to trade him? He, oh, I did trade him. I, I traded <laughs> him and Tevin Coleman for uh, Cortland Sutton and the Niners defense. Wow, terrible yeah. trade for the other guy. <laughs> yeah. That's a great trade for you. Because... I was watching Jeffrey going, God, this guy is like 45 years old. What happened to well, this guy? Well, he's never a fast guy. He was always like a guy that was going to win 50, he just, 50 balls. He I mean, just passed physical, the point. Right. I think physically he was too broken down. And then Aguilar, the, the Eagles fans have been complaining about him for five years. Literally before he was drafted. So losing those two guys, I'm not sure it was a bad thing for them. It's like, all right, we have other guys. They're not going to be worse. And if anything, it still seems ridiculous that Greg Ward, Houston's quarterbacks, they're their number true. one wide receiver. It's like Jacoby Myers being their number Antonio one wide receiver. Commanders, yeah. Right. Yeah. Actually, but, Belichick watches the tape. He's like, this fucking great. What but a, I think what a it, group. 
no one knows who any of these guys <laughs> yeah, are. He's, he's like, oh. oh, look how hard this is on Wentz. I'd love to fucking duplicate this one day. This is incredible. <laughs> but I think it forced them to kind of get away from forcing it to Jeffrey, forcing it to Aguilar, and being like, all right, let's just throw six yard out, start tight ends. That should just be our entire offense. A sick play. They had a six foot at Deontay Burnett last week. Deontay Burnett made a beautiful catch. And you're like, that is literally their 11th receiver back in August. 11th. And it, Wentz made it work. And he threw the ball across the body to Perkins, Josh Perkins. It's fun Josh to Perkins. Say these names and all yeah. your eyes. But it's great. It's working. No, and the thing that I've, I've noticed is that, you know, the throw to the flat, to that wheel, it's not the wheel route where you're trying to hit it 15 yards down. We're talking, you're basically throwing back to the line of scrimmage, yeah, and hoping your guy can make a play for five yards. And when you make that throw wrong, and I'm just like a fraction off, you screw up the receiver because he has to make some sort of adjustment. Wentz has perfected that. He is the best in the NFL at a guy coming out, you know, the little, a little just flat route behind him. It doesn't come back inside. It doesn't go down the field. It's just, it's just honestly like, you know, you could run double flats if you wanted to. He throws it to both sides perfectly, probably because he's had to so many times. All right. Last question. I there's yeah. this definite case for Philly, especially the playoff manifesto. I think the counter would be, I just fucking hate betting against Russell Wilson in big games. And that's like if you're you. taking Seattle, it's just like, I'm betting against Russell Wilson. I don't want to do this. I'm I'm up four with three minutes left and he's driving and I lose. just feel like I'm gonna lose. Um, eight quarterbacks right now: Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson, Ryan Tannehill, Tom Brady, Kirk Cousins, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz. We're throwing away the past, past performance, everything. Just talking about right now how they're playing. Could you make a case that Brady is seventh out of eighth out of those eight guys? Yes, you can make the case for that. But I'll take the institutional knowledge and the experience and the fact he's freaking Tom Brady on Saturday night over any of those guys. I still will. I, I know. I mean, look, I, I guess I'm just believing in something that everyone else is telling me is over, but I don't think he's dead yet. I honestly don't. Because it, going to Jacoby Myers and, and to Nikhil Harry and everyone's saying, oh, well, these guys stink. They're rookies. Like it's not expected for them to be good. Right. But I think with a game plan and six days to prepare, Brady can get by, and we'll live to have this debate one more week. The case for Brady is the game that you went to two weeks ago. That was old and school was vintage so Brady. Dialed, he was awesome in that game. If they get that Brady in this playoff game, I think I think they can win. The question is, especially because the Titans don't have like a monster pass rush or anything. The problem will be if it's one of those games where Tennessee's on the field all the time, where Henry and they're just seven-minute drives. Do they run it off the edges with success all day? And then, you know, that's the thing. Like, I never I never trusted any more on third and seven than Brady. Like, you could see the way he stepped into the throw. Like, oh, the guy's going to be open. Or he he knows he has it. Like, I wouldn't even have to see where the ball went. I could right. Tell you could freeze 20 years it. of you and I watching this guy. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, He's you can also tell it. within the first quarter where they're – how locked in he is on a scale of one to ten, and whereas this year it was, did he just break his knee again, throw, running away? From well, the Miami fight? game, he he looked terrible immediately, and it was remember like, oh, this had a bad the, vibe. Remember the first half of the Redskins game? Yeah, yeah, six nothing. Yeah. <sighs> All right. So well, who's eighth, by the way? Josh Allen. Yeah, who is okay. eighth? Right. Josh Allen. Josh, if you're just judging all these guys, guys by, I'm down four Josh? with 
No, if if I'm down yeah. four with three minutes left, rank the quarterbacks. Josh Allen's eighth, and I would say, yeah, unfortunately yeah, for Allen's Cousins, I think Cousins is seven. Yeah, Tannehill Hill one. <laughs> Who? Tannehill Hill one. On Tannehill one a. Uh, Schrager, we can watch you on uh, Good Morning Football, and we can see you on um, Fox this weekend. Congrats on everything. Thanks, guys. Love both your work. Appreciate it. All right. Coming up next, we're going to do Million Dollar Picks with House. But first, the spots that she doesn't tell you about. (laughs) All right. We're going to call House in one second. Wanted to tell you about a whole bunch of Ringer podcasts that you may know about or you might not know about. Binge Mode Star Wars is still going. Bachelor Party. Juliet just counted down the most dramatic seasons of all time. Even had Chris Harrison in the house. So that happened. The big picture is in full swing now with the Oscars and Star Wars and everything else. So that's going on. Uh, Press box is all over the media and politics landscape as we head into one of what hopefully isn't the craziest uh, years in American history, but has a chance to be, unfortunately. Uh, Ryan Rossillo, the guy who's on this podcast right now, he has his own podcast where he's doing three times a week, including with Chris Long on Mondays. I would encourage you to listen to that. And then Ringer Dish. I have high hopes for Ringer Dish in uh, 2020, but they're going to be doing a whole Golden Globes thing this weekend. So stay tuned for that. Vince Carter is still going. JJ Reddick is still going. We have Larry Wilmore still going. David Chang. Uh, I could go on and on and on. I really could. Not to mention Ringer NBA, Ringer NFL. And uh, The Watch. Chris Ryan still cranking out The Watch. Still cranking them. And uh, we, we just... Go check it out. Go check out on iTunes, The Ringer. Put a little search in and you'll find all the stuff we're doing. I hope you're listening. But yeah, The Rewatchables with Tarantino. Second one, we are doing Unstoppable this week. That is coming. And the Book of Basketball podcast. There's a new one coming to that as well. So that is your Ringer Podcast Network update for January. All right, it's time to call House. All right, Joe House is joining us for a million dollar picks. He still owes Rusillo $200. That's right. <laughs> 2020. It feels like there's some numerology there where $200 paid off in 2020 feels like it might be the, the right move. Why don't you just make a $200 bet for Rosillo this weekend and try to either double it or that's it. It gets wiped out. Seems like because that would that's make a, sense. That's a, that's a loser. And Rosillo knows that's yeah, a loser. That, I mean, that's just, you might as well light that on fire. Well, how about this? No Why way. don't you just pay Rosillo's $200? <laughs> Voted for six months. This Who's, is much more fun. Who says it's only two hundred now? Is it more? The juice has been running on that. <laughs> hey, worm. For the a lot of people. For the record, ten percent juice. <laughs> we we did offer to put it up to charity. Well, house house uh, drunk house is being spun off now into a multimedia series. So house is going to be rolling in dough. No drunk, kidding. No. No, I'm not making that up. Netflix? No, no offers on Drunk House yet. House, this slate is tasty and scary. Are you more feeling tasty or scared? It is the holiday season, which means there have been many, many, many delectable goodies in my oven, on my plate, on the counter, in the freezer. This slate is not that tasty it scares the 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 bejesus out of me to be honest with you what do you which game scares you the most mine is texans bills uh mine is philly seattle Mm. we just broke that down with uh young pete schrager 
And uh, th- th- there's a lot of Eagles case to be made. And then then I, you look at it as, well, but if you bet on the Eagles, you have to bet against Russell Wilson. Nobody wants to do that. That's the part of it that scares me. I like the, I like Philly here as well. Is Russell Wilson the number one I don't feel good about betting against this guy QB right now? I think he might be. I think a lot of people would say Lamar um, just because of what it's been, the recency bias of it. I wouldn't, yeah, but that's I, wouldn't, a- I wouldn't feel great going up against Mahomes, but I just, there's something of all the quarterback stuff that we talk about, arm strength and then third and eight, third and eight, third and eight. What are you going to do on third and eight? And I would trust Russell Wilson more than Lamar right now. Mm-hmm. House, tell me what, let's start with Texans Bills. The Joe Tessitore Booger Classic Saturday. We sound I call it the Shakey's game. They put it on early. It's gonna be weird in some way. Do you like Josh Allen and a Bills team that basically averages 14 points a game against anybody good? Or do you like Houston, 23rd and weighted DVOA, being held hostage by whether Will Fuller is gonna be good or not? JJ Watt coming back, but seems limited. Uh, which one sounds tastier to you? I like the Texans minus the two and a half. It's a modest line. It's a right down the middle line. You mentioned the Bills being mostly underwhelming this season, notwithstanding the 10 and six record. They're one and four against playoff teams. The only win they had this entire season against a team with a winning record was the Tennessee Titans with Marcus Mariota at, at, at quarterback, mm. they had the either the second or third easiest uh, strength of schedule, depending on how you're measuring it. And that's not a knock on Buffalo. Congrats to them. They went 10-6, and six and they beat all the crappy teams that the league put in front of them. They just didn't beat any, any of the good teams. And Josh Allen, you're asking a lot of Josh Allen on the road against this defense with the, even if JJ Watt only plays half the snaps, what they can bring to the table in the way of uh, uh, subterfuge and, uh, you know, confusion for Josh Allen. I I just, two and a half feels like the right number to me for the Texans. Yeah, it's two and a half, three. If you're really dialed in, I know that that means a lot, but I just don't like Josh Allen on the road in this spot. And I think Watson has a little bit of that Russell Wilson stuff that we're talking about here. Late, big possession. Um, It didn't work out against the Colts the first time they played against them. They didn't play at the end of the regular season. They've had some inexplicable. I mean, Baltimore housed them. The Denver game, you're like, what the hell is going on here? Um, But I still feel like even though Peter was talking about Trey White, there's some coverage stuff there that's a little different that I don't think he's just going to shadow Hopkins the whole time. And, you know, you're not just going to win against Hopkins. Uh, just because you you make a, a point of slowing him down. I mean, he's he's that good. I think he's right there with Michael Thomas. And I always feel like Houston, you go back over the years, and I don't know, like other than Lamar Miller that would be on fantasy rankings that ended up hurt all the time, they've actually run the football really well this year. Hyde's and, been good. Yeah. And, I was never a Hyde guy at all. That's always one of those things with Houston where you go, who's the running back again? And Lamar was, was always supposed to get – Alfred Blue had a little run there, but they've been good running the football. One thing – I don't like to overlook it or rely on some of those stats because I watch football every weekend. If I haven't, if I can't trust myself at least a little bit at this point, I do care about the third down conversion percentage stuff because I think that does, that is a reflection of 
kind of who you are and what you can do game to game. I right? also think it means your coordinator too. Like how consistently you're getting in a stuff like the pets are, matchups. The pets are 38.3 converting third downs this year. And that's playing the easiest schedule in the entire league, you know, and that feels right to me. If you're in that 35 range, Usually means your offense isn't that good, which is exactly where Buffalo is. Buffalo is 35.9. And that's against an easy schedule. Houston was 43.5. And that passes the eye test because I think one out of every eight times on third down, maybe even one out of six, there's that play where you have Watson sacked and then he fucking does Deshaun Watson stuff and he gets out of it and he this drive where you're just about to get them the punt, all of a sudden they have first down on the 50. And you're like, what happened? We just had them. And then they're going. And I don't want to bet against that in the playoffs. And I, I think, especially with this line being under three, I don't love this Houston team. The Will Fuller thing really scares me. But I don't want to bet on Josh Allen. And I don't want to bet on those 39s with him where I just don't feel like he's going to get them. So, House, we, we, we're aligned on Houston, right? Minus two and a half. Yeah, we like it. I mean, I, a Texans also with some classy wins. They beat the Chiefs, the Patriots, and uh, the Titans this year. That's pretty good. Pats, Texans, that line is up to Pats by five. Pats, 11th offense, DVOA, first defense, which it doesn't feel like the first defense anymore after the Fitzpatrick disaster. No, and speaking of those third down numbers, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and, and pull it up here again. Yeah. But... I was looking at New England on the opponent's third down, and they're number one in the league, and it was like 24%, and it was 10 percentage points better than everybody else in the league. And it's still the case. Yeah, so they're 24% against third down, and Dallas, ironically, but that's the division. That's their schedule, too. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing there with New England, but when you're 10 percentage points better than the number two defense against third down, but you're right, it hasn't felt like that. Hasn't so felt like that like the last Going back to the weeks. Cleveland game when Chubb started running on him, um, Mixon ran on him, and that team's been a mess, even though Mixon is really good. And then to end it with the, you know, they made a play against Buffalo, so you're maybe like, fine. But like some of this stuff, when you start looking at the defensive rankings, you go, okay, how much of this is a carryover from the first eight weeks when they didn't play anybody? And Flores, I thought, he figured out how to attack them. And it, maybe it was institutional knowledge because he was there. But, you know, he was like, I'm not, I, we can't be afraid of Gilmore. We have to go at but him. But it still seems weird that they won so many battles against Gilmore. That's kind of surprising. Gilmore, the last couple of weeks, hasn't seemed like totally Gilmore. Like, I do wonder if he's a little banged up or something. But then they picked on Patrick Chung, too, who is the guy that worries me in the secondary. And then I look at the Titans. You know, if if it seems like they're going to run, they're putting tight ends out there. The Pats can't do the five D-backs, six D-backs thing. They're going to have to put the Simon guy, those kind of guys out there. And then suddenly the defense isn't the defense anymore. You know, the first part of the yeah, season. Yeah, with all that secondary depth, you're yeah. like, this is brilliant. And they're only playing four of the secondary guys because they have to because Derrick Henry's out there with two tight ends. And you got to put bigger guys out. So that that part really worries me. And then the tight ends coming out, um, screen passes, all... I think they're a little vulnerable with speed on the outside with the linebackers, the high tower, like chasing Johnny Smith, Roberts. all that stuff. That all of that worries me. Um, House, am I just doing the sky is falling thing because it's the Patriots and I'm reverse jinxing it? Of course, this is a classic. Not today, Vrabel. This is not the way that the New England Patriots are going out. This is not the the situation in which the Bill Belichick and uh, Tommy Brady uh, marriage 
of a lifetime comes to a close. There's just way too much. He, I, this is the thing that I like. This is my lock of of the weekend. I believe the market has overcorrected for the uh, inconsistency of New England over the past handful of weeks. New England, by less than a touchdown at home, is absolutely glorious. They have nine straight uh, home playoff wins, seven and two against the spread at home since 2013. And I would worry about this game if the line was seven and a half. But at five, if you're giving me a less than than a touchdown at home, New England, this version, even with the shaky offense, I absolutely adore this one. This is my lock. Tennessee, since going to Tannehill, has gone three and one on the road. They they lost to Carolina at Carolina, but then they beat Indianapolis, Oakland, and the Houston replacement team. Those are not impressive road uh, performances. They're coming into New England on Saturday of Wild Card Weekend, and I believe that they're going to have their asses handed to them. Wow. Wow. That was great. I don't even know if – are the Pats in the ass-handing business anymore, though? Kyle's Kyle's the most energized I think he's been. He's fired up. Not today, Vrabel! I think it's a – I think it's – it reminds me of the Buffalo game. I feel like it's a down to the last five minutes game. I think the New England wins it, and then everybody spends all week being like, oh, I thought they had one foot in their grave, and they lose to Kansas City by 20. Oh, that would suck. I agree with that, by the way. That's what's going to – it's going to be a week of, I thought this team sucked. Like, no, no, it's going to be next week we're going to do that. I'm leaning toward Titans by five with the thinking that it's – Money line? You would. No, Titans plus five because oh, I, I think it's a last five <laughs> minutes of the game game. <laughs> that was I was like, why are you picking them by five? Saints Vikings Saints minus eight. Um, line seems high. House, what do you think? Hundred percent agree. I like very much Minnesota in this position. It's it's uh, unfortunate for them that they drew New Orleans in the first round because I think Minnesota is is one of the five or six best teams. You know, there's twelve teams in the playoffs. So I think they're right, kind of in the middle. But it's very unfortunate for them to get one of the top. Three teams is just the way um, the tiebreakers played out this year. Minnesota is pretty comparable to New England on a bunch of the, I mean, to New New Orleans, the Saints, who that, on a bunch of the advanced metrics, yards per play, net yards per pass attempt. And Minnesota's only lost by more than seven points on the road once this year. So they don't go on the road and get their asses kicked. Uh, the difference between the teams, this is going to be um, very deep uh, analytical uh, s- sweet sauce for you here. Drew Brees is better than than Kirk Cousins. How does that help us with minus eight? Well, that, that eight points is too many. I just went through it. Minnesota no, no, I just with, with the Drew Brees. But you don't think that's worth eight points? No, okay. no. They're, I think I think the Saints are going to win. I just don't, I don't know think how they're going to win right. by by eight or more. I don't like Cousins that much either, but I would still take the eight points because it just feels it just feels like you're getting two free ones. Yeah, but that also could mean the eight is telling you to say that Vegas is like we don't even think these two teams are close. Um, New Orleans also. This was one of my favorite stats going through all this stuff. Like you know how plus minus and the turnover thing means everything. These are your teams that have the best turnover differential in the NFL. New England, New Orleans, Green Bay, Seattle, Minnesota, Baltimore, Kansas City. So top seven in the playoffs. 
then there's Pittsburgh, and then the next two are Tennessee, Buffalo, and then San Francisco. So 10 of the top 11 teams in turnover are in the playoffs. Jesus. Pittsburgh's the only one that isn't. And New Orleans gives the ball away less than anybody else. They're at home. I know they're missing Davenport on the defensive line, but that defensive line has been really like New Orleans will have these sneaky defensive games where they're dominant yeah. too. You're like, all right, well, so if Cook is limited, then maybe this one does get ugly. And I've been in that building for a game. It is unlike any other NFL experience that I've ever been into. And that's the people of Louisiana, all that stuff. And it also speaks to kind of like New England. They're number one in turnover. They're at one point were plus 24. The second best team, I think, was the Saints at plus 14. So they were 10 better in turnover differential. That could be the thing and their ridiculously easy schedule that's masked uh, a, a mediocre New England team. But I already we already went over all that stuff there. So I'd still take the eight, but I don't, you know, that's just because it feels like too many points in a playoff game. Seahawks, Eagles. Seahawks. Nice story from the Eagles. We all know this team is not that good. And I don't care that they're at home. House? I like it. I'm taking uh, the Eagles. The Eagles 5-0 and against the spread. As playoff underdog the past two years, home dogs in general, 16-7-1 against the spread. Um, Seattle's been incredibly fortunate uh, in terms of one-score games this season. Their point differential, I think for the whole season, is plus seven, something like that, uh, reflective of, of a team that's much closer to 500. Than the record Seattle has. I just like this run that Philly's on. And I obviously, Russell Wilson scares the shit out of me, but I'm going to go with the Eagles uh, at home. Yeah, Seahawks plus seven, plus seven on the on the year. But you know, look, Philly beat Dallas, who Dallas is a fraud team. Um, and that was the game where you go, how does Dallas lose that one? But you could just do all the stupid stuff that we do that isn't that insightful it's a division game you know the but, one they shouldn't have won is the Giants game the the first Monday Night Football Giants game the one with Eli that was the one that was that I watched that game and it seemed like the Giants all they had to do is basically just not fuck up and they win the game and that that flips everything right right but to have corners out they were on their fourth and fifth corner getting the most snaps against the Giants was, and that was still a game yeah up until you know the very end so I don't I always wonder, like, nationally, House, if there's certain anti, like, most people are anti-Dallas besides the massive fan base they have, right? So they're talked about a little bit differently. It's felt like normally people are usually anti-Philly because Philly's a tough town the same way that, you know, people are anti-New England because they don't like the people from the area, but they've been incredibly successful. But Philly almost became this lovable thing because it was the anti-Dallas the last two weeks. Yeah. And I think it covered up for the fact that you go, this can't be sustainable, especially how deep the NFC is and how flat it feels. Like I could make arguments for a lot of these teams where I think this playoff field in general is as deep as I can remember in a long time. Also, we just saw the Seahawks go absolutely toe to toe with the, uh, with the Niners, who I think is the best team in either conference. And they hung with them. And That's all true. They came within a half foot. Yeah. They came within a half foot of beating them twice. Um, and I just can't imagine the Eagles in a million years hanging with the Niners. Ever. The Niners are way better. All right. So here's what I'm thinking. I have to put five rule. 12 teamer? No, to try to do, oh. you know, the annual quest to go 11 and 0 against the spread. I have to sprinkle down a little bit on each game, right? Um, but the one, the, the stuff I really like is a tease with the Saints and the Titans. The Titans going up to 11, the Saints going down to two. 
because I think that Titans-Pats game, I've watched way too many Patriots minutes this year. I think it's really hard for them to move the ball. Think of all the trick plays they've had to do this year. How, have you ever seen a Patriots team? Remember when in the Baltimore game a couple years ago, the 35-31 to 31 game, and they finally ran the Edelman quarterback, the yeah, whatever right, pass right. to Amendola, and they got it. And it was like, holy shit, that's how badly they needed this game. They had to pull that play out. They'd been sitting on it for nine years. It was like, this is this is the emergency break the fire extinguisher. And that was probably my favorite Pats non-Super Bowl win of this decade. Well, they, were, they were down, what, 14-0, 28-14? I, I actually think yeah. Baltimore was probably better. And the Pats, it was just between Brady and Belichick and just the, the infrastructure just wouldn't, the crowd was amazing. And they just wouldn't let them lose that game. And they've had to do plays like that over and over again this year. They've had wide receiver passes, passes well, back they did to in Brady. The Kansas City game, and they were like, "Oh, everything's on the table." And I'm thinking, like, this is actually bad. It's, like, it's, I, this is not a positive that they it's scored a bad on that. sign. Right. Like they they had to break the Landon Roberts fullback pass play <laughs> in Week 17 against the Dolphins. Like that's a play that should have been a playoff play because it was all year. Every time he came in, he's blocking for the running back, and you're like, "Man, at some point." They're going to fire it out to him. He'll be wide open because, you know, all he does is block. And they had to waste that play in Miami. So they've had, Kyle, how many plays, how many dopey trick plays do we have this year? Like six? And in the past, it would be like one. So that makes me think they're just trying to scrape together. Like this is a game against the Titans where I could see them fake punting doing a fake field goal. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Flea flicker every series? They did three flea flickers this year. <laughs> they did one, what was it, two weeks ago in the Buffalo game? Yeah. Did a flea flicker. So to me, that's a team that's knows it's not very good. And when you watch like the replays of... Zag? In, in, in just <laughs> innovative? <laughs> Zag. <laughs> when you watch the replays, it's like, well, here's why Brady threw it away. And it's like, oh, Dorsett's wearing his defensive back. Nikhil Harry's like running out of bounds for some reason. Ben Watson, they're not even covering him because he sucks. It's like, where's he going to go? It's like, oh, the flip, the the outlet pass to James White. They know that's coming. So where's he going? Edelman has been a shell for two weeks. Oh, he's hurt. He's hurt. Yeah. He's going to come out after the year. He's like a broken collarbone or something. I wouldn't be, any Edelman injury wouldn't surprise me. Could you have Danny Amendola dress up as yes. Edelman and would yes. anybody notice? Yes. People wouldn't figure it out to the second half. You'd no probably doubt. have to switch them. Like, how long could Amendola be just for like, hey, dude, here's, <laughs> here's, here's Jules' jersey. Just, you know, some shit out of the slot. Oh, man. Um, so I like a Saints. I mean, Danny Woodhead's still alive. Saints, Pat's tease. Has anybody tried to do the Richard Pryor moving twins thing where you just have somebody wear somebody else's outfit. I always wanted them to do it with the Morris brothers because with the Celtics, because I've always liked Markeef a little bit more. It's a little more, a little more unselfish. What if Markeef showed up and like, would, would they even know? Would they say anything if they did like him a little bit better? Because his range extends out. Well, and also he doesn't, he doesn't hold the ball for nine seconds every time he has it. I uh, house Saints down to minus two, Titans plus eleven. Why don't I do that? I hate the Titans plus 11. If you're going to tease New England, Tennessee, tease New England down to, to getting a point because the, you just articulated the entire rationale as to how it is that the Patriots will have to go to extraordinary lengths to, to win the game. They will do all those things and they will win the game. I can't uh, sanction 
a tease up to 11 with Tennessee when you know the defensive game plan is going to be to take away Henry and dare Ryan Tannehill to, to beat the New England Patriots in New England in a playoff game. I no, just I don't th- think that that's a recipe for a 17 point Patriots win. Do you think this Patriots team could take away Henry? Honestly, the only thing would I be that, see it. that Henry is is just going to run straight at you where it's not the quickness of some of the other guys like Mixon's a shiftier guy. I would say Chubb's even a, sh- a shiftier guy, but the way they have this Henry thing rolling, like I'm not I'm not anti Henry, but I I would imagine the the places that you want to attack New England running the football on the edges a little bit. That's not exactly what Henry does. I'm sticking to my guns. I think this is a three-point game. I think the Patriots can win, but I think they I think it's one of those it's absolutely everything. It's kitchen sink, it's fake punts, it's double reverses. Whose quarterback would you rather have right now? Yeah, oh, Brady. Okay. Tannehill's scary though. Tannehill's been really good for three months. How many receivers do you take from Tennessee before you take one? From well, the Wayne? question is if you're doing a skill position draft, Henry's one and AJ Brown's two. AJ Brown. AJ Brown no is one, easily two. No one talks about AJ Brown other than Titans fans. But do you talk about him if he was ruining your fantasy playoffs? Sounds like he's. But those two guys personal. are way better than anyone in the Patriots. If Edelman was healthy, I would think Edelman versus Brown is a good argument, but he's not. And he's not close. I to thought Corey number. Davis was going to be. Like his numbers were better last year, which is shocking considering he had Mariota. We've all had him on our fantasy team. I am teasing this. Here's what we're doing for million dollar picks. House, I'm not listening to you. In fact, I feel I'm against it. I feel comfortable because I've known you for 30 years and you lose money every year in the playoffs. So I feel great that you hate this. This is great. I'm sorry. Did I just hurt your feelings? No, no, it's fine. I lose money in the playoffs. What are you talking about? <laughs> I was worried. There was silence. I was worried you're going to disagree with me. Uh, I'm doing million-dollar picks. I am up $1.895 million for the year. Yeah. You're just going to brag about that? Must uh, be nice. It's a lot of it's it's a not, lot of money. Not real money. It's million-dollar oh. picks. I'm putting five fifty to win five hundred on a Titans-Saints down to minus two Titans up to plus 11 T's. I think the Saints win by at least a field goal. And I think the Titans, that's a close game. It's going to be hairy. It's going to be dramatic. It's going to be fucking awesome. And I think the Patriots will win by one point. And Kyle will probably have to be carried out of my house. That almost sounds like free money. What's the drunkest nephew Kyle's ever gotten at your house? Well, the most nervous he's ever been. The Atlanta, we watched the Atlanta Super Bowl come back together. And Kyle had to be wheeled out after. The drunkest I've been at your house was uh, a holiday party. Oh, no, oh yeah. What, what I had to leave. Ringer holiday parties. Back when holiday parties still happened. Uh, then Seahawks minus two. I'm going to go 330 to win um, 300 on that one. Seahawks minus two. Flat. Okay. And then, I'm against that one also. Great. And then I'm going to do 100 apiece on Texans minus two, Texans minus two and a half. Titans plus five. And what did we decide? Vikings plus eight? Did everybody like Vikings plus eight? I um, think why we why am I so scared to do it now that now that we're here? Because I think all three of us were like, oh, eight points, you got to take it. There was nothing. There was no breakdown there. We didn't even know what Dalvin's going to be yet. Can we go worst case scenario? Yeah, Dalvin's banged up. Cousins. Breeze scores immediately. Cousins was at Razoo's the night before. <laughs> 
<laughs> They're like, Cousins somehow is a huge LSU fan. He's been here all week. House, why am I afraid to actually take Minnesota plus eight? Because uh, it feels like every smart guy in the country is doing it, and we like to pretend that we're smart guys. But um, I think it's the correct play. I think it is, too. I'm going to begrudgingly take Minnesota plus eight. So million-dollar picks, 550 on a Pats, Saints tease, 330 on the Seahawks minus two, and then 100 cage on Texans minus two and a half, Titans plus five, Vikings plus eight. And there we go. House, I love the fact that we disagree. That gives me strange comfort. One of us will be wrong. One of us will be right. Maybe that's the way it should <laughs> yeah, be. That's the, that's the way it works. Do you want to bet Rosillo's $200 on it? <laughs> so, that, so then I assume the debt? Yeah, that, I like that. You're in Los Angeles. All right, we'll, can we'll just... Him, he, can, he can walk right into your office with those giant guns of his and demand payment. Before you go... I would love to be an enforcer. You would have been a great bouncer. <laughs> I was watching Roadhouse He's, two weeks ago thinking of you. Like, this could have been Rosillo. Some people have Take asked over me. The double deuce. There's been some South Bay places to be like, do you want to pick up a shift? <laughs> <laughs> what would you do, Bill? Would it be bad for the ringer if somebody like rolled down like Hermosa Pier and I've got a flat bill, like just Vans hat on. I pick up smoking and I'm just checking IDs. And then you go, hey, can you can you come up? And tape with me, I'm like, actually, the happy hour starts at 6, so it's late. I'm sorry. We had an incident yeah, at the bar. We had a shift. Um, no, I wasn't. I would, just, just so everybody understands, like, I didn't really fill out until I was like 26. So uh, by that point, I was. they were telling me to no longer be a bouncer. They're like, you're still living in your college town. You have some aggressive issues, and we'd like you to stop. Which, so, which bouncer are you the most afraid of? The giant guy who's clearly a bouncer because he's a giant guy or like the 5'10 guy who looks like he might not even be from this country who has a shaved head and is just just staring around the bar with icy intensity. Does that guy come from a country that ends in the word Stan? <laughs> no, I was thinking like an Ia. An Ia? Like a Russia. Oh, Serbia? Oh, right. Serbia. I just, some of those made up of Stan's like those Romania? people that chop down trees with their bare hands. Although yeah, I think yeah. that video of that girl doing that, that looked like it may have been a balsa tree or something. Like <laughs> I don't I don't know what the firmness of that wood was, to be honest with you. Uh you know, a huge, a huge, huge guy. Like I know the answer would be, oh, it's you know, you're scared of the other guy. But when it's a huge, huge guy that decides your night's over, there's just nothing you can do. Yeah, there's, once they get the force behind it. There's not gonna be any struggle. It's just it's over. Before house goes. I don't want to admit defeat on Dwight Howard yet. I'm just going to start the conversation there. I'm still not believing. I know he's he's been a great bench addition so far. He's been great for him. I know the stats have he been great every so basket. far. Yeah. I know he's kind of ideal for playing with LeBron. He's around in his basket with his hands up. I just refuse to believe that this is going to be somebody when we get to April, May, and June is going to be on the floor in big moments in playoff series. I'm not ready to admit defeat yet. Are you ready to admit defeat, Rosillo? Well, I think it's a partial defeat because where he was at, you didn't even think this was possible. Like right. a contributing member to our arguably, you know, the best team in the NBA. I know the Bucs have the better record. They beat him in that on the Thursday. But the fact that he is in a real rotation on one of the best teams in the league, um, I didn't I didn't even know that that was possible anymore. So that part I'm wrong about. But his life has never been easier. 
because he's asked to do nothing. I think he's accepted kind of his lot in his NBA life, which was really hard for him to do when he was a star and then yeah. on the five teams afterwards. But every lob, he's wide open because you're always going to help on the other guy, especially when it's LeBron. So he's productive also because he's with those guys, and I underestimated that. But I still find him really fucking annoying. House? He's the functional equivalent of of Kavon Looney. Like, why why do we have to admit defeat? He's in the very best. He's the he's he's the luckiest center in the modern era. He was absolutely properly written off for the for the we we have a ten years worth of evidence that that reflects him as a bad teammate, as a guy that takes things off the table, makes no contribution, and and yet because he got himself in shape and found through the through, through the basketball god's good graces his way to a situation where any functional center that's a, alive can catch lobs and and grab rebounds because of the attention of the other unbelievable top 5 talents in the NBA all of a sudden we're supposed to to you know clear out the kneeler and get down on our knees knees and do some some reverentials no sir not me. The case against Dwight is the fact that JaVale McGee is also succeeding in this system. And I still think, and they did this, and I've been tracking it more on like, they closed a game with Anthony Davis in a tight spot and they just let him stay at the five. And I was like, oh. And I haven't watched every single Lakers game, so I don't have all the rotations down. So, so. But I think we have to admit what he is now, we still didn't think was possible. And that's that's fair because it was so bad. So this is a win for him. And, it's a win. And I'm I'm not ready I'll to admit defeat though. I'll admit that I was wrong, that I didn't even think that he consistently would be in a rotation to do this fine. And it appears I think there's a LeBron factor here where even though people that are anti-LeBron will argue LeBron just sucks the air out of the room because he's just such an alpha and it's gonna be all about him and it's not always the best time to be a teammate of him. Well, the the zag to that would be LeBron's not like Dwight's not fucking with LeBron. True. So it's the Dennis Rodman, Michael exactly. Jordan, mid nineties. Exactly. So yeah, Dwight's not- a beta. He's a beta. That's who Dwight is. No response. <laughs> <laughs> Did I get cut off. Um, I'm very excited to talk to NBA with you guys. I'm excited to get through these next four weeks of NFL so we could get to all the awesome NBA subplots that are happening right now, including. I don't have a team that I think is going to win the NBA title yet that I would like bet my life on. I feel like the Clippers are still a move away the more I watch them. Hmm. They need one more guy. I thought it could be Harkless as that like one last long swingman guy that nah, allows him just, to switch on D. He's going to have way too many games. He doesn't have it. Score. Yeah, he just, oh. he just doesn't show up some games. No, totally disappears. They need to flip his contract into one more person that can help him. Everybody out here is like Iguodala, Iguodala. I, I just don't trust the Iguodala thing. I don't know if he can stay healthy. I want, I, if I'm using that Harkless spot and whatever other assets I have, I need somebody yeah. that I know is going to play 25 minutes for yeah. 10 straight weeks. And I, I don't believe Iguodala is capable of that. Iguodala was slowing down at the end Last of this two Golden years. State thing. So. He's hurt, he's hurt two years in a row. You wouldn't still want him in your rotation and Doc would be really good with him. And they wouldn't need a ton out of him offensively because they had some moments there with Golden State where it was falling apart. It was like, hey, can you initiate offense? And you're like, hey, right. dude. Like, yeah, this I'm is not, seven this years is, ago. This is not what I've been asked to do for a long time. But I... He's a buyout guy to me. He he should be bought out 
Yeah, but they're and Memphis then, isn't and then doing it's low that. Risk. But I see, I kind of, I actually admire what Memphis is doing with Iguodala thing a little bit. It's like, well, if all these teams are linked to him, thinking this is great, we're all going to be fighting over him. Yeah, why am I just supposed to buy him out and not get any kind of asset back? The savings that's minimal and doesn't really mean but anything this in is, NBA math. The problem with the NBA right now is this fucking crazy seat. Last CBA has created this world where everybody's either making twenty-five to thirty million a year or five million, and nobody has these contracts to go get. Andre Iguodala for $17 million. That Like, the Celtics can't do it. Marcus Smart would have to be in the trade. They're not doing that. No. But you go on down the line, like, Philly can't do it either. All of Philly's contracts are either super expensive or cheap. And they don't have the flexibility unless they put Josh Richardson in the deal to even put together a package for Iguodala. And you go down down the line, the Lakers don't have it. They'd have to put Danny Green in the trade. They're not doing that. So, I, be, I guess they could do Caldwell Pope. My mistake. But then it's like, what other asset are you throwing in? You've traded every first-round pick you have. If you're the Grizzlies, it's like, why would I take Caldwell Pope back? I'm not doing that. So you no, go on down, to it's tough. They need to get a pick at least to sell, even if it ends up being a pick. I think he's going to be a bad guy. The guy, I went to the Cavs-Celtics game um, Friday last week. Thompson is absolutely perfect for the Celtics. Tristan Thompson on the Cavs. If they can somehow get him as a buyout guy because they can't trade for him. But... Especially watching them in person, the big guy spot, it's just somebody that sets picks and rolls to the basket with their arms up, right? And their hands are up and either they're getting like the late pass off the screen or their hands are up just for the rebound, the tip in, whatever. And that's what Horford, the dirty secret of the Celtics team is they're, they're actually weirdly better off without Horford in a lot of ways because Horford is a pick and pop guy. He's on the perimeter and they're already like covered with perimeter guys. They needed arms around the basket. And... Um, Thompson, the one thing he's great at is I'm setting you a screen. I'm going to the basket hard. My hands are up and he's better at that than Daniel Tice's. What I like about Thompson and I, you know, Thompson's one of those really weird bigs in today's league where in 2016, when the Warriors lost, Thompson was a huge problem. Yeah. Like nobody boxed. The Warriors are really lazy about their box out at the right. end of that series. And you're going, you guys going to really lose this because you can't pay attention to who you're supposed to box out. And Thompson crushed them. And then there'll be another series later on where it's like, you're going to get Thompson off the floor. And that I think is like the challenge of being a coach in today's league going, I have a big, I really like plays a lot of minutes for us during the regular season, but is it going to be a night where he's exposed or isn't? I mean, it's kind of like the Hibbert life overnight. Yeah. Overnight, it's like, I can't play you anymore. Like, the what Celtics have figured about? out how to use a guy with his specific skill set. And if you look at the guys who are going to be available at trade deadline, House, you can talk to this. The, the Wizards aren't trading Bertans. He's not going no, anywhere. No, no, he's like, $7 they million. Dollars. They want to keep him. He's a cornerstone. Yeah, that guy. That guy's <laughs> good. No, seriously. <laughs> How about but, that win the other night against the Heat? But no they, Bertans, was, no Beal, oh no, no Bryant. It's such a likable team. There's some good stories this year on League Pass because I think the Hornets are like that too. The Hornets on any given night. Devontae Graham's good. I was looking at some of like the three-point attempt things with it. But just real quick, let me finish on Tristan. I think the reason why Brad Stevens would love him too, not just because of some of the rebound, just a bigger body. Like I love Tice thinking of him as a backup. I don't really like him. I think the Sixers, if the Celtics get the Sixers, despite... The, the up and downs of Embiid and who the hell Ben Simmons is and some of the odd things that they do where Tobias Harris says, I was looking at these numbers the other day, amazing efficiency driving the basketball. He never drives because yeah. of the way they're set up. 
They're so the, the, the Celtics against them, though, with their front line. Like, how could you pick the Celtics in that one, even though the Celtics have been a better state of your team all year? But Thompson is really good for a big guy. And I've noticed it. Not that I've been watching all Cavs games this year, but something when Thompson was right, he was really good. at He could switch on to a smaller guy and he worked his ass off of staying in front of him. True. And I've seen glimpses of that again. I don't know if I have that 100% right because I haven't watched it all. But No, I you're it. right. You're I'm right. Like, on wait it. a minute. Tristan still moves really well. And like, for the Celtics to switch on yeah. everything on D, that's perfect. I uh, I just Tice is Tice is I, a foul I, trouble guy to me, I, which is the other thing. That I need to I need to congratulate you guys for starting off 2020 this decade exactly how we left the previous decade, which is by starting an NBA conversation on a bunch of fascinating storylines, including you know where is Iguodala going to end up, and all of a sudden we just spend eight minutes on Tristan Thompson to the fucking Celtics. Congratulations, <laughs> well, or somewhere did it again. No, but he's. I actually you guys kind of like semi shot lately. Have you noticed who? <laughs> Ojale, <laughs> isn't that coming out a little bit nicer? <laughs> See, so good. I love it. No, but I think Thompson. I love it so much. I think Thompson's a really important trade deadline piece for somebody because could, could you get like the an Cavs are going to buy him out? I think Langford could get you a guy back. Like I wouldn't Kawhi. trade Langford for Kawhi. <laughs> Langford for Kawhi. Let me think about it. Langford for Kawhi. I don't know. What I else? tell you, I wouldn't it's give great. you. I wouldn't give you Langford for a boat of LeBron. <laughs> I like Langford. Langford's tall. Oh wait, but you like him now? I'm in on Langford. Oh my god, yeah. that did. How, what did he even do anything? And now oh, you, you like missed him. my two holiday. My, no, I didn't miss it. No, my I two just, holiday 180s are Langford and the Irishman. I 180 both of them. No kidding. Yeah, I like the Irishman. What happened? What, what happened with the Irishman? Do you I, not like it now? I watched it a second time and I get it and I'm totally into it now. You don't think it's too long oh, good. anymore? No, I'm, I haven't I'm, watched I it I really, yet. really liked it. I think I needed to see it once, bang out all this, all, you know, just kind of get used to it. There's just a lot going on. It's so rich, so much history. And I think it was too much. I think it overloaded my brain. Second time, I was like, I get it. Sorry. I'm not asking for your apology. I'm just... I think I'm still more surprised about the Romeo Langford 180. He knows what to do. Stand I was, and do nothing? No, no, on defense. I, I, okay, all right, all right. All right. He I, I'm not knocking him. I just think it's funny that from what you've seen, now you're in. That's weird. He knows what he's doing. And I think offensively, it'll be a while before they actually, they have so many scores. What are they going to do? So they go, oh, let's run a Romeo Langford play when we have Kemba and Hayward and Jason Tatum. Like, I know. It just always, he's never getting in touch. It scares me. The Kedrick Brown thing will always scare me that Jim O'Brien was like, okay, you're not allowed to move outside of the three-foot box but in the, the corner. But Kedrick Brown's a great example. And House and I, we always talk about this, when the, like the eye test with people. And Kedrick Brown was just clear. He just hadn't played enough basketball in his life. And you watch him, he's just running around. He had no idea where he was going, and he's losing his guy. And he just didn't really know how to play basketball. Langford seems like he knows how to play basketball, which I like. I've talked myself into him. House. Um, anything else before we go? No, I mean, congratulations. Nobody talked more about Romeo Langford, uh, in, in 2020 than, than, than you guys just now. And you want some Thomas O'Brien talk? We're happy to see him. Thomas O'Brien, you no, want to cover you. him or no? I'm all set. Please, please ha no. Happy holidays, house. I'm so glad we happy disagree holidays. on most of the football games. This is great <laughs> we're gonna, for us. We're betting Rosillo's 200. I can't, uh, I still can't believe we're not doing more on Garrison Matthews. <laughs> I look straight out of uh oh shit I knew the school now I don't remember it anymore 
Damn no, he's, it. He's, it was uh, a great pull, too. He's Lipscomb right there in Nashville. Lips, I mean, knew it began with an L. Lipscomb U. Oh, we didn't talk about Michael Porter. The Lippy Jr. U. We didn't talk about Michael Porter Jr. Would you trade Langford for Michael Porter Jr. in a first? Yes. Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> was, when you saw him before he knew what he was doing, you're like, okay. Like, I get it. You couldn't look at any of the Missouri uh, stuff. When he came back after he was hurt, it was gross. You just go throw all this stuff out. It doesn't mean anything in valuation. He has, he is the movement eye test. Holy shit guy. That's like, you need league. to watch five minutes of right. him. You're like, oh my God, Jesus. It's absolutely a thousand percent true. He is an eye test fucking superstar. It's incredible seeing how big he is and how well he moves. What, what is, I don't even know what player, what's his comp? Taller Tracy McGrady. I, you beat oh, me to it. Me nice. and Rosillo are on a goddamn wavelength. It's that's probably because I owe him money. That's pretty good. I hate the player comp thing, but that's the one I could think. Because I, I was watching, I, him, I was like, I don't even know what position now, this person is. That's not being respectful enough to McGrady's passing, you know. But the how? Wait a minute. What are you like a guard? You're like a and six you're, ten. And you're, you're not forcing it. Like it looks comfortable. Like all of this stuff. Your movement around. Um, I'm uh, just thrilled that Malone's playing the guy because before it was just scrap minutes. Would you read the stories? He's which, basically like, I can't keep him off the court anymore, which is like, I always love seeing that. Yeah. When a coach is just like, look, do you think it's because this wasn't part of our plan, but I can't fucking not play this guy. He's killing practice. Now, I'm, you know, I'm not a huge nugget guy. Yeah. And I mean that on the raised expectations of there's, but I'm supposed to believe this team could come out of the West. Yeah. Cause that's what I hear from some people. Do you think they couldn't keep him off the floor? Cause who's the third best player? On the <laughs> true. True. Yeah. They are actually, they needed to have him on the floor. Yeah. And they have, you know, there's a Drew Holiday possible trade that they could. You're never going to give card. up on that one. I love it. I just like that he's potentially available. But uh, the Porter thing was the most fascinating holiday wrinkle for NBA. Because I was like, oh, my God. This is like what they claimed was going to happen. And then it's actually happening. Then you redo that draft. He's in the top four. Right? No, yeah. Wasn't he like 14th? Yeah. House, did your team beginning. pass him? Pass on him? A hundred percent. I mean, although it's unlikely we had the pick. Ernie Grunfeld was in charge. Oh. Yeah, you probably think, traded the pick. Yeah, it was something. Yeah. It was tied to the rights of the Jan well, Vesely thing. Can you read all the guys in front of him? <laughs> and then we'll go. This is Russillo's favorite content. 2018, hey. this is the, Lon the Lonzo Ball draft? No, it's DeAndre Ayton. So it's Bagley, oh. Luca, Jaron Jackson, Trey Young, Mo Bamba, oh. Wendell Carter. Huh. Colin Sexton, uh, Kevin Knox, uh, Bridges, Shea Gilgis Alexander, who may be wow. the best guard in the NBA, went 11th. Oh and then Jerome God. Robinson, which I was never oh. really, I was like, what? And then Michael Porter Jr. Oh, went so 14th. the Clippers, so they should have taken him 11th. Uh, they should have taken him 11th or 13th because he was still on the board at 13th. Yeah, I was talking to somebody this weekend about the Kawhi trade, if they had somehow figured out a way to keep SGA, and I know it was probably impossible, but it's not like, I, I just find it hard to believe that Sam Presti knew he was going to be that good. How, how would they have even scouted SGA? But he's a movement guy. The first time I watched him live, I went, whoa, yeah. like this guy has a, he knows what he's doing. He's like skating yeah. around the court. And it, it just jumps out at you. Like, that's the difference between watching guys on TV and watching them in person. That's, that really has a chance to be one of the great NBA trades of all time for both sides. The fact that Chris Paul trusts Shea Gilgis-Alexander this soon in his career 
And there's times where, by the way, Oklahoma City's closing numbers are incredible. Yeah. They're a good team. They're going to be a playoff team. How's so you think. watching them? Yeah, I, I, they're, they're exactly what we kind of prognosticated when the three of us were last together. It's true. Doing over-unders. We liked the Oklahoma City Thunder. We, 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 I think we banged their over pretty hard. We did. What's interesting is their first-round pick is 1 through 20 protected. So if they if they're one of the top ten teams in the league, they lose their pick to Philly. So they actually have vested interest to just be like, okay, cool, we'll be the seventh seed, we get to keep our pick. But when I watch them and you think how bad their wings are, for the most part, and they could flip, you know, they have Denver's first round pick. That'll be like the twenty fifth pick. They could flip the Robertson contract with that Denver pick and get another wing guy who could actually really help them in some way. That that's a playoff team I'd be kind of afraid of playing. Cause I, I just love that Paul is like, you can close it, Shay, which is not what you would think. And Paul's good. I mean, Paul's still a really good player, but we know the deal there. And there's times where he closes it and he's not sharing. And the fact that he's going, this kid is this special, like, go ahead, take over to close this thing. That's that's and like if you're OKC okay to get first fight, you would just rather have Chris Paul than Westbrook, regardless of how awful the contracts are. But then you also get the two firsts. And Chris still, he looks like Chris. Did you see him closing the other night? Yeah. He just, we read it perfectly. He was like, okay, I'm going to do this this time. And the next time, all right, the big's going to sag and you're not going to recover. Okay, fine. I'll just hit you with a jump shot in your face. They're over 500 with like Baisley and Ferguson as as in the three and D spots. And that was after a bad start too. Like they've turned this thing around. But like every, every fourth, and I did this last week on the Christmas one, but going into it. Like the fourth quarter differential, it was Lakers, Clippers, Bucks, Celtics, and then it was Thunder. And then it was a huge gap between number five and number six. So they were right there with four of the best teams in the NBA. It's funny if you, I feel like Covington's going to be available. Yeah. It feels like Minnesota's going to make I trades. I feel like it's been the same names. But could they steal Covington for like the 25th pick? Like that Denver pick and an expiring, just be like, we'll take him. And I then wonder. you put him and now, now you have a crunch time three and D guy with the rest of what you have. I like their team. I yeah. mean, I like their four. I like Adams, Gallinari, Paul, and SGA. I think I really like those four. I want one wing guy with them, and I think they would be pretty good. Langford. All right. <laughs> Maybe you put in Langford off the bench as a sixth man. Would they trade five first-rounders for Langford, do you think? <laughs> All right, we have to go. House. They're the only team that could do it. House. I would take two for Bertons. House, we had New Year's, New Year's Day brunch yesterday. Oh. Um, at this place, Le Petit Paris in uh, downtown, downtown um, L.A., the Croc yeah. Croque Monsieur, oh, with the Dijon mustard on the side. You sure? It's basically a grilled ham and cheese sandwich, but the French like to mix it up. But they bake it with somehow with the cheese on. I was thinking of you, House Bloody Mary. I, I mean, that's. No better better way to to start off the twenty twenty. Did you have a floater next to the Bloody Mary? <laughs> that didn't do your floater trick. Happy no, uh, the, lot. The Twitter engine likes that. People have been enjoying the floater, the Bloody Mary floater. Happy twenty twenty. Thanks for coming on, Rosillo. Yeah. This was a pleasure. Listen to the Ryan Rosillo podcast. He talked to Jack McCallum about David Stern, so you can hear that too. Thank oh. you guys. All right. Thanks so much to Ryan Rosillo, Seth Wickersham, Peter Schrager, Sober Joe House. Nephew Kyle, go Pats. I hope you win by a lot. I hope we don't have to sweat it out. I have a feeling we will be. 
I'll try to keep Kyle relatively coherent and sober over the weekend. And we will see you on Sunday night, no matter what happens with the cuz. Until then.